Flyover Politics Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the 18th of October, year of our Lord, 2019. Happy birthday to Big Sis of Colorado. I don't know if you listen to the show, but happy birthday. Going to call you in a bit. And that was another person getting attacked. It's a woman getting attacked. Trump supporter. Just, you know, we're not going to cover that. We're going to cover all sorts of other shit during this podcast of fake outrage by the media and a, a, a video that's been on YouTube forever and now they're outraged by it because somebody at Doral played it. It's pretty bad. Up front being mocked, Pence says Turkey will pause operations in Syria in order to allow the withdrawal of YPG forces for 120 hours. It was promptly mocked by the media. So just remember when, you know, Obama sends plane loads of cash to foreign countries in the darkness of night, that is a statesman, all right? But when anybody else does it, it's all bullshit. And we will cover Cummings at the end. I'm doing it at the very end. He has passed. I hate to besmirch the dead. But I'm going to play the video that they all play to say what a great statesman he was. But I remember him differently as a conservative independent. He was not a statesman. But, you know, it's always that way. When a conservative passes, it's so-and-so passed a longtime Republican, but he's a piece of shit. So, um, I had... A soundbite from last podcast that we're going to play in a second. I'm going to play some more of it. I'm not going to play all of it because it's 18 minutes, but it's about impeachment. But there's a great article that came out. I want to read it. I've been trying to stay away from reading articles because it's kind of boring. But this one pretty much sums up our current media state. And it's by uh, Brent Bozell. Republicans versus screaming anchors. Politico posted a curious headline the other day, news anchors fight back against GOP senator refusal to condemn Trump. Is it really news at this point that news anchors are fighting the GOP? Politico media reporter Michael Calderon's anchors in this case are Tapper and Todd. Let's address them separately. Tapper proclaimed on Sunday that no Republican senator or House leader would appear on State of the Union program to defend Trump. Then he told Calderon he doesn't think it should be controversial to say that using your political office to push foreign nations to dig up dirt on your political opponents is wrong, as he implored Republicans to say it on his show. But Tapper wasn't done lecturing. This is a precedent that will destroy the concept of free and fair elections. It's not really picking any sort of bold moral stance to say that you can't have that. I don't know why so few people are willing to say it. Calderon then noted no Republican senators appeared on CNN, MSDNC since September 25th when Ukraine Gate began. 
It's remarkably disingenuous. We're in the middle of an impeachment inquiry, and CNN and MSDNC have been eager to remove Trump from office since the day he was elected, at least as eager as the Democrats. This is simply undebatable. Why should it be a scandal that Republicans would avoid those channels? A better question might be, what took so long? Republicans accomplished nothing by appearing on those channels other than give them some notion of nonpartisan credibility, something they manifestly don't deserve. Tapper and his fellow anchors are fiercely describing, decrying foreign interference, which they do all the time, or allegedly being badgered into interfering. But they considered a crackpot conspiracy theory from the Fox News crowd when you start talking about how Obama administration was spying on Trump, or Hillary actually working you through Ukraine, or the New York Times working with New York Ukraine to dig stuff up on dirt. On Trump. Dirt on Trump. There we go. That's what I was trying to say. You can't talk about the Clinton campaign paying a British spy to dig up dirt on her opponent from Russian government sources. That hypocrisy is why this impeachment effort is so ridiculous. That's where he he turned to Chuck Todd, who called her on notes, became visibly exasperated with Republican Senator Ron Johnson. We played it on the show. When Johnson refused to accept his line of liberal questioning, when Johnson suggested questions Todd should ask Obama CIA Director Brennan about Team Obama conspiring to ruin Trump, Todd yelled about Fox News conspiracy propaganda stuff being unloaded on his show. He goaded Johnson, can we please answer the question that I asked you instead of trying to make Donald Trump feel better that you're not criticizing him? That's not the half of it. Todd wouldn't let Johnson finish his sentences, constantly interrupting and arguing. Then he turned to Democratic Senator Murphy, threw him puffy questions, let him speak for long paragraphs uninterrupted. Todd did the same for Brennan. This is not new for Todd. The week before, Todd rolled out the red carpet for Schiff, setting him up to explain his Trump-ruining plans for the coming week. Then he fought tooth and nail with House Majority Whip Scalise, complaining he wasn't answering his questions and spread the bizarre Biden conspiracies. Scalise shot back that Todd was reading for Democratic talking points. It's now a constant pattern on Sunday morning shows. Puffballs for Dem, the third degree for Republicans, is it really scandalous that Republicans are sick and tired of it? I mean, Chuck Todd's not going to report Schiff pressured witness to say Trump pressured Ukraine. That's out there. New York Times reported it, and then they buried it. Or Byron York. Here there's a conflict inside Fiona Hill interview room. GOP Representative Gatz came in, not a member of the Oversight Intel Foreign Affairs Committee conducting interview, but Gatz is a member of the judiciary, one of impeachment committees. Some disagree going on. I'm told Getz, a member of the judiciary committee, was ordered out of the interview room because he wouldn't ask the questions they want. What did a actual journalist say to him? Is Byron York a Trump whisperer? Then they're not going to report Jim Jordan... There's been a lot of noise since Speaker Pelosi decided to call for impeachment before having the facts. Here are a few important questions. Why did the whistleblower write a 800-word memo describing President Trump and Zelensky's call based on the second-hand information gleaned from a conversation in the last just a few minutes? Why did the whistleblower wait 18 days to file the complaint about describing the call as frightening in their memo? Why and when did the whistleblower communicate with Schiff staff before filing the complaint? Why did the whistleblower hide from the ICIG that they met with Schiff staff by not checking the box on the whistleblower form indicating they had spoken to Congress? 
Why didn't Schiff tell us his staff and met with the whistleblower? Why didn't the whistleblower just give his memo to the Inspector General instead of seven-page complaint dressed up with extraneous citations and media references? Why is Schiff holding hearings, depositions, and interviews behind closed doors? Why won't Schiff release transcripts of these interviews instead of leaking cherry-picked information that fits his narrative? Why won't Schiff take questions to the press after these interviews like Republicans have done? Why does Pelosi think we need to strike while the iron is hot instead of taking time for serious and thorough investigation and fact-finding? Why is Pelosi scared to have a vote to open an official impeachment inquiry like it's been done every other time? Why do Democrats keep making up the rules as they go along instead of following a fair process? What work did the whistleblower do with Democratic presidential candidate Biden? Why do Democrats and media keep falsely claiming President Trump pressured Ukraine? President Zelensky has repeatedly said that he wasn't pushed. Why won't, why don't Democrats trust the American people to choose the president? The election is less than 13 months away. Why won't Democrats focus on helping the country instead of attacking the president with this unfair and partisan process? Why won't the media ask these questions to shift? Why? There was quid pro no yesterday all over conservative media. They said they withheld money because of Biden's son. But it's false. It's all false. Now, I have a icing on the cake on why they're doing this. But let's play a few sound bites. First, the aforementioned impeachment abutted with an actual soundbite, and I'm going to put a little pause so you know when it starts. This is a montage of the media using the exact same talking points as the Dems in regards to impeachment. been written over 30 years ago, but it's more relevant than ever as an Emmy-winning TV series, a powerful image of protests, and some say a cautionary tale of where this country could be headed. Now, Margaret Atwood has written a new sequel, The Testaments. Please welcome Margaret Atwood. Now, uh... You are a legend in the literary world, of course, um, the author of the best-selling book, The Handmaid's Tale. And it tells of a near-future patriarchal society called Gilead, uh, in which the rights of women have been virtually erased. The handmaids are women forced to give birth to the babies of the ruling class. And you released it in 1985. And I read that the events in the book came from actual, real-life events. Everything. Everything? Uh, Everything. Well, I didn't want people saying, you're certainly a twisted, weird person. Yeah. Yeah. So instead I wanted to be able to say, I, I made nothing up. Well, but where, where were women being forced to have children? Which century would you like to... <laughs> yeah. Which century would you like to visit? Which country would you like mm. to visit? Huh. Which state in the United States would you now like to visit? Which was it in the United States? When was it in the United yeah. States? Well, well, well. Any any time before Roe versus Wade. Oh, I see. So and and now since they're rolling back those rights and diminishing them so much, yeah. uh, you're approaching a, a state in which women are essentially being conscripted. Uh, or drafted the way you would be conscripted or drafted into the army 
and my view on that is if you want to do this, if you want the state to claim ownership of women's bodies, you should pay. Uh, recently in this country and in uh, other places around the world, we've seen attempts to severely limit people's rights, as you've just mentioned. In your view, uh, do you think we're moving towards Gilead? I wonder, as an actor, do you ever look at the president and think he's performing, like he's playing or, uh, an act or something? In some ways, I, I think he is, but I think that it's, uh, as I think some of these other pundits uh, on Fox are too, um, because I can't believe that they, they would actually buy into this craziness. Hmm. This guy is, should not be president, period. And when you say that, folks on Fox come after you. I remember the Tonys when he got up there and cursed. A lot of Fuck criticism em. of you. Fuck them. Okay, well, you know, this is cable, Sorry. so it's not an FCC violation, Sorry. but it is still a Sunday morning. Well, I we're, do wonder we're why you choose of, to go that let way. Let me say something. Why do you we choose are to go a, that way? We are at a moment in our life, in this country, where this guy is like a gangster. He's come along and he's said things, done things. We say over and over again, this is terrible. We're in a terrible situation. We're in a terrible situation, and this guy just keeps going on and on and on without being stopped. Hmm. Well, let's fit in a break. Let's squeeze in a commercial. More with Robert De Niro. I don't say this lightly, but let's be frank. A national nightmare is upon us. The basic rules of our democracy are under attack from the president. We begin tonight with a series of admissions by the president that all but assures his impeachment in the House of Representatives. It's a moment of truth for Republicans, and they've been largely silent on what we've seen from the president. Today, he publicly called on two foreign governments to interfere in the presidential election by investigating his chief 2020 political rival. So what you just heard is a public admission of the allegations at the heart of the House's impeachment inquiry and at the heart of the whistleblower's complaint that the president of the United States, Donald J. Trump, is using the power of his office to solicit foreign interference in the 2020 election while doing it relying on a debunked conspiracy theory or two. By the way, this is not hearsay. This is not a leak. This is not a whistleblower complaint. It's not a memorandum of a phone conversation. You heard the president himself do it on the White House lawn. This moment should arguably be a national emergency. The founding fathers would have considered it a national emergency if the president publicly lobbied multiple foreign governments to interfere in the next ele election. And yet there has been virtually no condemnation from the president's party at all on this remark, which is remarkable considering the precedent it would set and the lasting damage it would do to our democracy. I want to look ahead here uh, uh, for a moment. Say the president is actually uh, impeached by the House, but not by the Senate, and then is reelected um, in 2020. What does that mean uh, for democracy going forward after a president has broken the oath of office multiple times, and then you'd have a Democratic Party uh, feeling very much defeated? Well, Yasmin, I don't know if you're old enough to remember Pogo and, and Walt Kelly uh, <laughs> uh, writing, uh, we, we have met the enemy and he is us. I mean, ultimately, the responsibility for what goes on in this country uh, rests with, with, the, uh, uh, with the citizenry, with the, with the American people. But I will tell you uh, that uh, I'm, I do remember I was involved in the early stages of the Watergate prosecutions when I was a, an assistant U.S. attorney. Uh, you will recall that uh, President Nixon was, was reelected amidst uh, uh, a lot of furor. But mm. then uh, after the election, when he was something of a lame duck, uh, his own party, uh, along, along with uh, uh, their opponents, turned against him. We could very well see a scenario like that unfold if the facts devolve uh, 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 the way unfold. you describe. And, and if, but if that does not unfold, and then do you have a president unchecked for four years? 
Well, uh, there are some of these issues that I think the courts will acknowledge uh, in, the, in the famous steel seizure case. Uh, the, the court envisioned certain disputes where the political branches are at loggerheads and the courts stepped in. Uh, that's, that's very rare, uh, but uh, you paint a dark picture. I mean, uh, either that happens uh, or we exist for another four years with our institutions uh, ever weakening and, and uh, uh, that perhaps the, uh, uh, the Congress will stop acting like, like a parliament and, and act like an independent branch. Uh, and especially in the, in, in the Senate, and, and uh, act for the well-being of the country. Where, uh, let's see what happens, and take it a step at a time. Your hypothetical is about three steps down the road. The actions of the Trump presidency revealed dishonorable fact of the president's betrayal of his oath of office. The president has been exposed, violating his oath of office. The president of the United States has betrayed his oath of office. Violations of his oath to the Constitution. Unprecedented breach of the oath of office. Betrayals of his oath of office. The president has admitted enough. We have got enough information at this point. He has already confirmed what he's done in broad daylight. We've basically got a confession. He's already confessed to this crime. The president has already admitted. The president admits he did it. The White House and the State Department continue to orchestrate this massive cover-up. We are watching a cover-up by the president of the United States. They've been in the business of trying to cover up. Implicated in a cover-up. There's a cover-up. The cover-up, the attempted cover-up. To interfere with the Congress's ability to call before it relevant witnesses will be considered as evidence of obstruction. Trump's strategy, it's pretty clear. Obstruct, deflect, confuse. Obstructing justice, refusing to comply with the congressional inquiry. It is obstruction of justice. It's bribery. A lot of the committees have documented obstruction of justice. All of this obstruction from the White House and from the president specifically. He's using the abuse of power and every element of the, the of presidency. The heart of the abuse of power. This gross abuse of power. You could say it was an abuse of uh, power. There has been an abuse, abuse of, of power. power. Abuse of power. And that is an obviously impeachable abuse of power. And then, more importantly, because we shouldn't be surprised at talking points. That's why I'm not saying anything. Let's be honest. They've been using the Dem talking points and handing the Dems talking points since the moment the man got elected. I mean, let's be honest. That's what they've been doing. They are part of the Democratic apparatus, and that's why when Trump says they're the enemy of the people, they're Democrats, most of us, you know, I gotta admit, I listened to the last podcast for just a little bit while I was driving the other day. Once again, I don't like hearing myself talk, but I was listening for errors, and I heard Trump's little rally statement, and I actually clapped, and then I caught what I was doing, but he's right. I mean, I think that's his appeal to a lot of people. It's the fact that our media is hot garbage. They are part of one party. They are invested in everything that party does, and it's not even... we we The last real journalist we had was Tim Russert, and when he died of a heart attack, so did our objective media. It's gone. You either have conservative media on Fox, or you have straight-up Democrat talking points on everything else. But Project Veritas did another hit. They're going to hear two sound bites. President Jeff Zucker tells employees to push impeachment and all other stories should be about moving towards impeachment. Another employee tells them there's a personal vendetta against Trump. And another employee in the second part of this, which is rather long, but I'm going to play it. It's all about money. For them, Trump is money. Deep down inside in the coffers of their soul, 
they dread a Democratic president because they made a lot of money off this because all the moon bats that hate Trump will tune in and watch Chuck Todd only say one thing on Meet the Press, the used-to-be only objective news show we had. They love watching all the people on CNN do their fucking dramatics. It's what they do, and it's been good money. So in the soundbite, that's pretty much what he's saying. It's about clicks and cash. And then Morning, everybody. Okay, let's start Washington. I, I, I don't care about the MSNBC event. Okay, I don't care about him. Let's just stay very focused on impeachment. Uh, my name is Kerry Porch. I'm a satellite uplink technician. I'm a contractor at the CNN Washington, D.C. Bureau. But Jeff Zucker, yeah, basically president of CNN, has a personal vendetta against Trump. It's not going to be positive for Trump. He hates oh, it. Yeah. He's going to be negative. Uh, I decided to wear a hidden camera. I decided to secretly record the 9 a.m. rundown call meetings, and it's basically run by Jeff Zucker, the president of CNN. When I came to work at CNN, I mean, it was my dream job. And that dream actually just turned into a nightmare. So I, I just want to say, I know Lindsey Graham front. I know that there's a lot of people at CNN that are friendly with Lindsey Graham. Time to knock that off. And it's time to call him out. And I think what's going on in America now is really fundamentally calling Fox News fake news and a propaganda machine and with what I saw I'm like that's pretty much what CNN was like it's just pumping out propaganda uh, the, the, the fake conspiracy nonsense that uh, Fox has spread for years uh, is now deeply embedded in American society uh, and frankly that is non-destructive for America and I do not think we should be uh, scared to, to say so I just want them to own where they're at. Like, hey, if we if we lean left, cool. Let's just say we lean left. If we lean right, let it be known. But I, again, it just dovetails back to that thing. I just want people to have the information to make up their own minds. CNN says like they they want to portray the contrast, but really it's partly because you want you know like. Conflict is what sells. Nobody wants to hear one minute canned statements. Gotcha. So, Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's like, yeah. Craig Clicks, get more money. Craig Clicks, get more money. What we're going to do is take an anchor and put him at the desk and tell the news. We're so busy trying to, trying to get appointment viewership. We don't, even though we're totally left wing, we're not, we don't want to admit it. Um, when Zucker took over, uh, it wasn't until Trump that we ended up being all Trump all the time. It's, it's the Trump that we're doing. It's like it's everything is
all about the money. It's almost all about the money. It's a corporation. We could be so much better than we are. Well, and you learn that in journalism school, we're supposed to be middle of the road. That's our job. Now it's just now it's just entertainment. It's all it's become. There is no true media news outlet. You know, one of the tapes. You know, Patrick. He was an like almost 30 year veteran he basically said the same thing that I'm saying here like hey we used to be the best and we used to report news we used to cover news we used to go out and do stories this is a story that's not going to go away oh the Ukraine thing or just well, in general well in general the only way this will go away is when he dies hopefully <laughs> soon So in the end, the impeachment is what they want. Impeachment's been what they wanted from day one. They're the ones that have been calling for impeachment for the Democrats they ever did it. And we're not going to expect anything other than that. Let's be honest. There's been three impeachment votes over nothing. This is the fourth one, and it's just bullshit. In the end, as I segue, it's fake news and since Trump took over well really before then since Obama fake news is what we get remember when it's a real scandal about Democrats it's propaganda uh, as we played in the last podcast Fox News generated Benghazi when people die it doesn't mean anything it's, it's just all bullshit when it's against a Democrat But we've had so many smoking guns from Russia, Russia, Russia to all the stuff now, even the quid pro no, because there was none, but that's not how the media played it. ABC, even though it's not political, it is political, because I want you to go back to when Obama pulled everyone out of Iraq. MSNBC rode on the last truck out of Iraq like it was some great thing, and he fulfilled a campaign promise. They probably then ignored that ISIS backfilled, took over the whole region. Hundreds of thousands of more Muslims died because of the atrocities going on. They still tried to connect it to Bush. If Bush lied, people died. We shouldn't have gone there to begin with. They never pinned the tail on the donkey who was the Democrat, Obama, because he's the one that made ISIS. He did make ISIS. I know it's a Trump talking point, but that's just a reality. You cannot make a void in the Middle East. And they did. It was during the Arab Spring. It was a hot mess. Well, Trump's pulled people out of Syria. Now the media are just up in arms over it. And they have all these experts coming on talking about how this is going to be the end of the Middle East and the power void and all the things they didn't say under Obama. They're saying now. But ABC decided to go to a next level and air this fake news. Monday, I'm Tom Yamas, and we begin tonight with the situation rapidly spiraling out of control in northern Syria. One week since President Trump ordered U.S. forces out of that region, effectively abandoning America's allies in the fight against ISIS. This video right here appearing to show Turkey's military bombing Kurd civilians in a Syrian border town. The Kurds, who fought alongside the U.S. against ISIS. Now, horrific reports of atrocities committed by Turkish-backed fighters on those very allies. 
a reporter take a look at this live streaming video when a convoy is hit by a Turkish airstrike. You know, it brings me to a search I did the other day to find out. I was going to put it in a show about how many Muslims have been killed during ISIS's reign in the Middle East. And all I could get was Iraqi civilians during Gulf War. One, and the Iraq War, or what we like to call Operation Iraqi Freedom. That's all Google will give me for 10 pages. Just like Cummings. pushing Cummings pushing everybody's racist in America. Couldn't find that. I could find Trump disparaging Baltimore for 20 pages. So, once again, when people say Google's objective, it's all just... All it is 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 uh, automatic programs, that uh, algorithms. No, no, it's not. Our next stupid is going to be prefaced, prefaced with the story, but it's that video I spoke of that was played at Doral. It's a year old. It's from the Kingsman. And it's a parody of Trump killing media members. But understand, it's not made by Trump or anybody in the Trump campaign or GOP. It's it's a meme. But it's always interesting, as this story's headline says, liberal media lose it over violent parody video yawned at depictions of murdered Trump. New York Times reported late Sunday night a video depicting a macabre scene I'm a cat. I can never say that word, so fuck it. We're just going to move on. Seen a fake President Trump shooting, stabbing, and brutally assaulting members of the media and his political opponents, opponents aired at Doral, Florida, conference hosted by pro-Trump group American Priority over the weekend. Pulled from the scene, the movie Kingsman, the Secret Service, the video has been thoroughly condemned by conservatives, journalists, liberals, but I repeat myself, White House Press Secretary Stephanie Grisham and even the Newsbuster Twitter account, at best it was lame. But like most hubbubs, the liberal media turn up the outrage meter to 15 out of 10, warranting a closer examination. Here were separate Sunday night statements from White House correspondent Associate Pre- Association President Jonathan Carl of ABC and the always pompous CNN. Carl, the White House Correspondents Association's horrified a bit of video polling shown over the weekend at a political conference organized by the President Trump supporters and Nas- Trump National Tour in Miami. All Americans should condemn this depiction of violence directed towards journalists and the President's political opponents. We have previously told the President this rhetoric will incite violence. Now we call on him and everybody associated with the conference to announce this video and affirm the violence has no place in society. CNN, sadly, it's not the first time. Blah, blah, blah. He's horrible. Not going to read it. Put another way, CNN pulled a Beto O'Rourke demanding anyone who doesn't offer sufficient denunciation of the video be deemed supportive of violence against reporters. How unifying. But when it comes to threats of assassination of violence against the president, the broadcast networks resort to spin, which was arguments that both sides are wrought with the issue. In June 2017, Shakespeare in the Park performed rendition to Julius Caesar, and Trump was Caesar, and we already covered it. But when it came to the broadcast news network, flagship morning and evening newscast, both shows on ABC, Good Morning America, World News Tonight, and NBC Today and Nightly News ignored that story. Nightline covered it on July 13, 2017, but David Wright lamented the play depicting Trump's murder was targeted by Trump loyalists eager to make a scene. Between the CBS This Morning and Evening News, the network covered the Caesar matter six times, but some downplayed and even excused as part of our political climate, which all sides bear responsibility. 
So for some at CBS, pretending to murder the president is both sides issue. NBC Nightly News is a lone network newscast to ignore the June story of Johnny Depp joking about someone assassinating president. CBS Gail King and Nora O'Donnell plus ABC Paula Ferris flatly decried Depp, but others hurled similar excuses. Going back further, CNN boasted in October 2006 a Canadian film, Death of the President, based on an alternative reality where Bush was assassinated. Other cases involve Snoop Dogg, New York Times columnistly thinking about a dead Trump. These wrongs don't make a right, but it's instructional as to when the priorities are for living, breathing, fainting couches and liberal press. Perhaps the liberal media should be looking in to clean up its own act first, whether it's airing a fake newsreel or deeming Rona Farrow book a conspiracy theory. Here's the reality. They aired with glee Madonna saying, we're going to blow up the fucking White House. They said it was no big deal when we're going to impeach the motherfucker. Every week, including this podcast, you will have me playing. We need to arrest everybody who doesn't do what we want them to do. Resting political opponents is okay. Run motherfuckers out. They don't have a place in society. That's okay. And every violent thing we've been showing on this show for three years towards people in red hats. No problem with that. But a fake video. Solwell, Brian Seltzer. I'm not reading their fake outrage. Uh, the New York Times, Amber Athey, sums up how I feel about it. I find it hard to get super worked up about Trump Kingsman video shown to a handful of people considering the New York Times published a Trump assassination fantasy less than a year ago. Here's a roundup I wrote about around that time about the series of hateful and violent rhetoric about POTUS and his supporters. And it was on the Daily Caller. Stephen Miller, think of this video somehow over inciting violence against media brands is no different than thinking Joker will lead to mass shooting or incel violence, which we talked about at nauseum, which they're doing. I mean, they're playing that shit up. But to the Amber athlete, uh, let's just hit the high points on this. If I can get through the Daily Caller article, I didn't cover it. Uh, one, Scarborough, Trump damages America dream more than terrorists. Two, uh, Nicole Wallace suggests wringing Sarah Sanders' neck. Don Lemon declares it's a fact that Trump is racist. Uh, Fareed Zakaria, treasonous, not strong enough to describe Trump. Donnie Deutsch, Trump could be a psychopath. HuffPo publishes article calling for execution of Trump. Politico reporter calls Trump supporters garbage people with bad teeth. Scarborough compares child separation to concentration camps. Chris Matthews calls for vengeance. Nicole Wallace, are Trump women dead inside? GQ writer, Trump has radicalized more people than ISIS. WAPO op-ed, comparing Trump to Hitler belittles Hitler. CNN April Ryan jokes about street brawling with Sarah Sanders. New York Times columnist, Trump immigration policy is evil. Reza Aslan calls Trump a piece of shit. WAPO Jennifer Ruman, Sarah Sanders should be harassed as a life sentence. Nicole Wallace, Trump officials do not appear to be human beings. MSNBC's Ellis Jordan, should Sarah Sanders be welcome in society? New York Times publishes, publishes Trump assassination fantasy. John Avalon compares America first to Nazi message. MSDNC analyst nominates Trump billing for ISIS bombing. MSDNC's Deutsch calls Trump an evil man. CNN guest runs to gut pro-Trump panelists like a fish. We play that on TV or on the show. Wallace, 
told Jeb to punch Trump in the face. Yeah, because remember, she used to be a Republican. Brennan accuses Trump of treason. And that's 25. There's so many more I could go forever. But this video, this video, which I'll read it because some sound. A video depicting a macabre scene of fake Trump shooting, stabbing, and brutally assaulting members of the news media and his political opponents is shown at a conference for supporters at Miami. He strikes the late Arizona Senator John McCain in the back of the neck. He hits television personality Rosie O'Donnell in the face and stabs her in the head. He strikes Representative Maxine Waters. He lights the head of Senator Bernie Sanders. He takes Mitt Romney, Republican of Utah, hostage for throwing him to the ground. Then he strikes former President Barack Obama in the back and throws him against the wall. The clip ends with Trump putting a stake in the head of a person with CNN logo on her face. Mr. Trump just stands at the altar and mirroring his rampage and smiles. It's exactly out of the Kingsman. It's a meme made by somebody. How dare you separate them from their parents? We're going to rip your son from his mother's arms and throw him in a cage full of pedophiles and let them have... I've been getting into it on Twitter this morning with people over this, is that people are saying this is just free speech, you're being a snowflake, you're so sensitive. First of all, you're talking about sitting senators, and you're talking about Congress people, Maxine Waters, Mitt Romney, Adam Schiff, yeah. Bernie Sanders, President Obama, the Clintons, my father, you can't kill him again, but whatever, Rachel Maddow, Black Lives Matter, these are real people. Yeah. And so I always thought that if you, in the same way that if you make a threat against someone in office, mm -hmm. I don't understand how this, this video is any different. Sarah Sanders, yeah. Don Jr., and the 
governor of Florida, by the way, Ron DeSantis, was at this event. Mm -hmm. I don't understand where we are culturally, where entertainment is showing doctored videos of killing fellow members of Congress and people you're working with every day. Mm -hmm. And anyone who wants to talk to me about free speech, I think as all of you know, I mean, I wanted to come on here and talk about the Joker a few weeks ago, but we never got to it. I am not someone who thinks that we can't have content in entertainment and writing and that, and that talking about violence is important. But this is an entirely different thing yeah. when you're using pictures of actual people who are still alive. And how easy for all of you judging me that I'm offended and upset by the video. You try doing this when some member of your family is continued to have this happen over and over and over again. And yeah. it doesn't seem to matter to anybody in Trump world whatsoever. And you conservatives on Twitter, if this were the opposite and it happened in an Obama event, you'd be screaming bloody murder. Okay, wait a minute. Hold on. It had... He was mean in a weird video made by some rando to my daddy. That's the McCain speech. Media outraged by meme of Trump shooting media members. Here's how they react to the same scene when it was churchgoers being killed. And it's a whole article about this entire scene in a movie. And they were fine with it. They had no problems. None. They're just hypocrites. Just Hypocrites. Here's some shit to back it up. Here's Pocahontas. No, here's Sam Donaldson. Flyover, dog and flyover people and more lion Pocahontas. And uh, come on. Fuck you guys. I asked Warren if she had anything in the house that reflects her Native American heritage. I have plenty of pictures. They're not for you. Tonight, the White House is trying to distance the president from a disturbing video showing a likeness of him violently attacking his political opponents and the news media. It was apparently played at a conference at one of the president's Florida resorts. Hallie Jackson has that story. It's a video so violent we can only show a few seconds of it. President Trump's face superimposed onto a shooter's body inside what's described as the church of fake news. In a graphic scene, he shoots, stabs, bludgeons, and in one instance, lights on fire depictions of his political opponents, like Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton, and news organizations like the Washington Post and NBC News. The Trump campaign says it did not produce the video, which appears to be based off the movie Kingsman, The Secret Service. The New York Times, which first reported on the video, says it was played at a pro-Trump conference by an outside group at the president's resort in Miami last week. Both sides of the aisle, disgusted. It puts lives at risk. It's not who we are uh, as people. I think it's a tragedy. I think it should be denounced by the administration. President Trump has blasted what he calls fake news. It truly is the enemy of the people. The enemy of the people? They are the enemy of the people. And two years ago, tweeted this controversial meme pretending to body slam a CNN logo. The White House press secretary says the president has not seen this newest video yet, but based on everything he has heard, he strongly condemns it. Still, President Trump has not publicly denounced the clip, despite tweeting more than two dozen times today, including about dancing with the star. I, I take your point, Jason. I, I think, um, you know, the Biden campaign has to be smart enough and not let Donald Trump lead them around and goat them into a fight. We already saw this fail with uh, Elizabeth Warren with the, you know, oh, Native gosh. American. Right. right. Exactly. Uh, it's a bad idea. Um, but the media also, I mean, you have to, there, there are no innocent bystanders here and you have to fault the media for this. You cannot adopt GOP talking points. It feels like sometimes the media is more concerned with not offending Trump voters than yep. they are with using critical right. thinking required for journalism. We didn't need to have this 
expose with Hunter Biden for nothing. Until we yeah. see yeah. a money timeline of Javanka, who's made $82 million while right. Donald Trump has been in the White House. It's ridiculous that we're even having this conversation. Yes, I take Joel's point. Donald Trump likely would run that campaign, not because it makes sense, but it's the only campaign he knows how to run. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. doesn't have anything. He has no issues to run. He has no platform to run. He has no success to run. No, the Trump rallies are Trump's his, his strong supporters. I mean, lock her up. I mean, all the things he says, all the vicious, mean things he says, they love it. There are these people in this country. They're good Americans. Otherwise, they'll probably give you the shirt off their back. They'll help you if you need. But they have this fixation. They want to return this country to the white Christian country that they believe it should be again. They don't want the diversity. And they follow him for this. But they're not the country. We are a diverse people. We are good and strong because of that. And we're going to come back to that, I assure you. I like the optimism, Sam. Thank you, Sam. So, wanted to bring her back to dig into that conversation. Here's Zerlina Maxwell. She's the former director of progressive media for the Clinton campaign. She's also an MSNBC political analyst. We also invited Lauren Leader, the co-founder and CEO of All In Together. It's an organization geared toward encouraging civic engagement by women and the point that you made here uh it, it deserved a little bit more time so i wanted to dig into it a little bit how how does a female candidate overcome the obstacles that, that you describe well i think that you have to uh have a strategic plan and then you have to stick to it so you see that in some of what elizabeth warren is doing she's not uh listening to some of the media noise and speculation or even advice um, from outsiders she's just sticking to her plan and i think that the challenges that women face they're in two buckets. I think of it as a cultural bucket and a structural bucket. So cultural is implicit biases that we may have. That we all have. That we all have because we are all raised in patriarchy. It's everywhere. And so we have implicit biases against women and seeing them in positions of leadership. We have we associate women in positions of leadership with negative traits like aggressive or angry or bitchy, right? Sorry. I, I think you can say that. Can I say that? Yeah. Um, the, right. second, the second bucket is structural. So that means it's harder for women candidates to raise money. Uh. It takes them longer. That's why you have organizations like Emily's List uh, that get money into the hands of women candidates early in the race. And so I think they have structural challenges to overcome in, in the area of finances, but it also takes them longer to gain the trust of voters because we're not used to seeing women in positions of leadership as often. So, Lauren, polling by your organization, uh, recent polling, if I'm not mistaken, was done mm -hmm. back in August, just a few weeks ago. It saw heightened engagement by women. I think we've got the numbers here. Fifty-six yeah. percent of Democratic women said they were paying more attention to politics since 2016. In your same polling, women are more likely to expect a Democrat to beat Trump. But if the Democratic nominee is a woman, voters give Trump the edge. Yeah. Walk us through that dynamic. Yeah, well, I think it was a very similar, we saw a very similar dynamic in these gender questions that we saw when Obama was running the first time, that the, the voters would say that they themselves were comfortable voting for a black president, but they feared that their neighbors were not, and that they wouldn't. And you saw the very similar dynamics. We've never had a woman president. And so there is this anxiety, and it's particularly high among white women. So when we dug into the data, women of color actually have a high degree of confidence that a woman can win in the presidential 
presidential cycle against Trump. It's white women, particularly, that just fear that there's bi- that the that same bias, which we all see and live and experience, is going to sink a woman's chances. A generic woman running against Trump in 2020. But why would a white woman fear that more than a, than a woman of color? Well, it's really interesting. Part of it is correlated with the political activism of women of color versus white women. So, you know, even though we saw this huge surge of political activism, you know, since 16, white suburban women, for instance, who were such a force in the 2018 midterms, the fact is, is that women of color have outvoted every other group of Americans for the last, you know, 30 plus years, and they're the most politically engaged. So what we found is that women of color are more likely actually to go out and work for a campaign. They're more likely to go volunteer. They're more likely to give money to campaign. They're more likely to do all of the ancillary sort of civic leadership actions that it takes to get people elected. So I think part of that optimism comes from a sense of being on the ground and working for it. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where the difference is. Overwhelmingly, women want to see a woman president. They want to see women elected. The question is, how hard are they going to work to make that a reality? And it can't just be about, you know, clicking on a page on Facebook. They got to go out and work. They got to raise the money. They got to give the money. They got to volunteer. Zulina, I thought of you, I think it was last week, uh, Elizabeth Warren at that town hall would ask the, the question um, at the LGBT. Q form. I oh, think, the lean. The, yeah, I yeah. think we have it. We'll play it and then I'm, I'm going to get your take. The supporter approaches you and says, Senator, I am old fashioned and my faith teaches me that marriage is between one man and one woman. What is your response? Well, I'm going to assume it's a guy who said that. <laughs> and I'm going to say, then just marry one woman. <laughs> I'm cool with that. How, how would a guy have answered that question, you think? I don't know how a guy would have answered that question, but I think one of the things that's so great about that moment was it's just her authentic personality. So authentic. And, you know, I use the yeah. word authentic because we don't often associate that with women. Yeah. Um, we use it as code language um, when we really mean, well, we just don't like, we, do, we don't want to say well, the sexist things that we're thinking. Um, and so we say, well, I don't trust her or she's not authentic. And I think right. that being yourself is the most empowering thing but Elizabeth Warren that is That authenticity now. is actually, I think, why she is doing so incredibly mm-hmm. well. Yeah. And it is a very deep contrast to Hillary Clinton, how she ran in 16, which was that she wanted to, she tried to be perfect in a lot of ways. We're, and I think the women today are embracing their imperfection or embracing their authenticity or being human because they know that that's actually how women break through yeah. a lot of the bias that gets held against them. No outrage over that. There's not no outrage. That was another Pocahontas video that just surfaced of her literally saying, I have all this this heritage stuff. So you, don't, you, you, you have outrage over a video that has nothing to do with the candidate made by somebody over a year ago, but that's okay. And MSNBC, voters don't trust women? Maybe if you didn't fucking put up Hillary, a gigantic lying piece of shit that nobody fucking liked, even Democrats, Pocahontas, who lies about her ethnicity and pregnancy, and oh, I'm on Harris, who's now down with BLM, but she put more people in the fucking pokey than white people did, and she's not even liked by black people. How about some outrage over Hollywood Actors Union passes new resolution targeting Trump? We won't say his name. They can't say his name in anything when they're writing. None. 
Can't. Yeah. Can't. So before we go to a music break, and we're going to go into hate tweets today, because we haven't done that in a while, it'll be some political stuff. I, I promised some climate, so I'm so sick of climate, but I had to play these. AOC crying about her future and motherhood that she won't have. This is the woman saying cow farts are going to kill us and you shouldn't reproduce. And she's all down with 85 abortions, live birth abortions, and abortions of abortions. Protesters dancing to save the planet. It's so crazy. I just have to play it because it's just fucking crazy. Even the music's crazy. It's crazy. In London, me and the wife had a whole conversation about this last night. We watched World's Dumbest. I haven't watched it. It's so fucking funny. And there was a scene in, I think it was Australia, and these two drunk guys were stopping traffic. People got out of their cars and beat the fucking shit out of them. And me and the wife go, why can't we do that in America? Why? Because in London, they do this soundbite. Well, them pulling people off trains. They were stopping the trains. People got off and kicked their fucking ass, got back on the train. The train went away. And then protesters fucking with the wrong guy. He was trying to get his burger, and they were blockading a burger joint. And Home Slice gave them the how-to and the what-for. Then we'll do a music break. We're doing scary music today and into hate tweets. Enjoy. This note, I speak to you not as an elected official or public figure, but I speak to you as a human being, a woman whose dreams of motherhood now taste bittersweet because of what I know about our children's future, and that our actions are responsible for bringing their most dire possibilities into focus. I speak to you as a daughter and descendant of colonized peoples who have already begun to suffer. Just two years ago, one of the deadliest disasters in the United States struck in the form of Hurricane Maria. The climate change-powered storm killed over 3,000 Puerto Ricans, American citizens. My own grandfather died in the aftermath, all because they were living under colonial rule, which contributed to the dire conditions and lack of recovery. This year, we saw Hurricane Dorian wreck similar havage in the wreck similar ravage in the Bahamas. And that is not a coincidence. As many have noticed in an off, and noted in an awful turn, the climate crisis's path is first impacting those who have not only contributed to our emissions the least, but have already suffered greatly in the global history of inequality, colonization, and imperialism, stacking one injustice upon another. But this is everyone's loss, too. And no person is insulated from this reality, because many of the people ravaged and marginalized in our current regimes, the lineages of farmers, indigenous peoples, and tightly knit communities, also have knowledge of many of the practices that are our solutions as well. So it is no secret that many of our scientific conclusions reinforce indigenous wisdom and practices cultivated over thousands of years. It is not
Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on and fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. Hey, Queen of the Day! Your your passion was at a different a different gear. You may not have known it, but it was obvious, man. And I wonder, are you afraid that uh, the the party is going in a direction that is just going to get get us killed here in the middle of the country? Is there, is there something is there something that you're aware of now? That you're seeing the ascendance of Elizabeth Warren and some of these other ideas that has you afraid. So a little bit more of a pivot of we have to beat somebody in the form of this president. Here's why I think timing is now. Here are the choices. Warren was a target for you and others. Why? Why? why I have a question specifically on Senator Warren's answer to you on Medicare uh, for all and how she'll pay for it. But just broadly, why did you think it was so important to go after Senator Warren tonight in a way that you haven't before. Welcome back with me. As you can see is New Jersey Senator uh, Cory Booker. Senator, thanks so much for joining us. I'm um, grateful, man. It, it did seem like there was a lot of criticism of Elizabeth Warren, especially coming from candidates that might be vying for the, more of the moderation, more, more the moderate lane kind of, Buttigieg, Klobuchar. I'm not asking you to, to be a pundit here, but were you surprised at how much Incoming there was at her, especially because you were criticizing people for doing it. To be with you. Did the dynamics on the stage feel different? It felt like a lot more people were going directly at Senator Warren as opposed to Vice President Biden, including you. Now, we're here in Ohio, and Ohio has lost over 300,000 manufacturing jobs and went eight points uh, to Donald Trump in the last election. But that's a good story, but it's not the reality. That's what Senator Elizabeth Warren said. Innovation, you know, sounds good, makes a great story. Not why we're losing jobs. I can't say that. Welcome back. We have with us Massachusetts Democratic Senator uh, Elizabeth Warren. And, Senator, uh, this was the first debate where you were really a co-frontrunner with uh, Vice President Biden. And I have to say, based on the amount of incoming going your way, it seems like whatever the Democratic voters think, your colleagues think that you're the front runner. <laughs> Do you think any of the attacks that you faced tonight were, were out of bounds? Nah. Oh, I can't say that. Welcome back. We have with us Massachusetts Democratic Senator. That is actual journalists grilling other candidates for why were you so mean to Warren? And a hot mic moment with Chuck Tapper, or Chuck Tapper, what's the difference? Jake Tapper. I can't say that. It was like she was part of his team. It was so friendly. It was crazy. But we covered it last podcast, and it continues. The coddling of Warren by the media. Washington Post. You knew just by talking to her she was going to be successful. She faced sexism, shed a husband, and found her voice teaching law in Houston. This is where Liz Warren became Elizabeth Warren. In 1997, Warren was asked to eulogize longtime UH law professor Eugene Smith. Smith specifically requested that Warren speak at his funeral when she sat inside a small campus chapel, stunned her former colleagues. The transformation of Elizabeth Warren. From the article by Noah Rothman, who was dogging this article because it was so loving. She split with a husband who struggled with her ambition. She found her voice developing a speaking style that made the senator from Massachusetts a leading candidate for the Democratic presidential nomination. Houston is where Liz Warren became Elizabeth Warren. If Warren saw herself as a trailblazer for women in law, she has never acknowledged it. 
Warren was younger and less stuffy when the men on her faculty. Warren also seemed human. Scoop, Elizabeth Warren is the kindest, bravest, warmest, most wonderful human being I've ever known in my life. That's from the article. Matt Bennett. Wow, I wonder if the WAPO and the established media have settled on a candidate yet. And it looks like they have. In fact, her plan to give everybody everything free will rest on the backs of the middle class and taxes. You know it, I know it. Anybody with an IQ above a potato knows it. Lydia Paul Green. Will you raise middle class taxes is lazy and gotcha question based on untested premise. A fair question would be ask candidates to explain how they convince voters of tax trade-off benefits. Jay Rosen. The make Elizabeth Warren say she would raise taxes on the middle class question should be a credibility killer for the journalists who keep asking it. Perspective. Five ways the debate could have and should have been much, much better. Overpopulated and mind-bendingly long, the TV spectacle has plenty of merits and some serious flaws. Of course, it's legitimate to dig in the costs, but not in the way that creates a nice GOP campaign ad and misses the larger lens of overall cost. Warren notably refused to take the bait. Sure, the truth is good, but what if it helps Republicans, people tweeted. Britt Hume, but not, of course, for the politicians who keep ducking it. This chap actually teaches journalism or something. Ali Vitali, Warren again refusing, reframing the question of M4A will cause middle class tax to go up. She focuses on costs and reiterates they'll go up for the wealthy and for big corporations, but for hardworking family costs will go down. Buttleg happened to go after on this too. Warren continues to dodge whether the taxes will go up with her MFA plan. Costs will go up for wealthy and big corporations, for hardworking middle class, the cost will go down. That tweet was 20 fucking times more on a thread that addressed how the media is trying to ask this. Hardcore politics, partisans at WAPO, New York Times, journalist professors are saying, no, 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 no. You can't ask it. That's sexist. It's sexist to ask that question. That's how far they've gone to defend Warren. But then there's Hunter Biden. If his name was Hunter Trump or Hunter Bush, you never hear this on TV. But you're going to hear ABC and CBS, the fix is totally in, concerned over the interview, whether he should have done it or not, and Anderson Cooper pretty much just exonerating him from doing anything wrong when we know the truth is the exact opposite. Former Vice President Biden is still facing criticism from uh, President Trump over his son Hunter's ties in the Ukraine. Does he have to respond to that tonight? He has to take the fight to Donald Trump. I mean, this is a, actually a huge opportunity that they've missed. Uh, this is, uh, you can either catch spears in politics or you can toss spears. Catching isn't much fun. Well, I wonder if Hunter Biden may have handed some spears to the opposition with an interview today. I want to play a bit of that sound. This is uh, Hunter Biden uh, uh, responding to his uh, joining the Ukrainian energy company, the board, and then uh, dropping out. Let's listen to that. I'm a human. And you know what? Did I make a mistake? Well, maybe in, in, in the grand scheme of things, yeah. But did I make a mistake based upon some un- ethical lapse? Absolutely not. 
So, Robbie, does that put an end to it? A case closed? Yeah. You know, that's the issue. It's yeah. all over now, right? No, nothing to yeah. see here. Yeah. I know. Sadly, look, these things are really hard. I don't think this is going away. That he did profit off of, uh, off of his father's name. And, and you know, at least he's taking responsibility for it. But it does look kind of awful. Like, if I were sitting next to Hunter Biden, what I'd say is don't ever go on TV again, ever. Yeah. You look awful. Like, you look, you look guilty. Human question. Yeah. Do you worry? No, but for real. Let me say. Do you something. worry that all of this noise, even though it's just noise, no, it's I don't still, worry. that it could affect your sobriety? Of course. Look, you don't want to live in the worry of it. Because then you're feeding the beast. I have no answer other than this. You got to live in the connections that you have to healthy things. And I have so many of them. And I got to live there instead of living in fear like, oh my God, the stress is going to make me drink or the stress is going to make me use. President Trump yeah. likely will see or at least read about this interview. Anything you'd like him to hear from you? <laughs> no, no. I mean, really, no. It's really hard for me to say anything. Um, snarky right now or combative because I was raised to respect that office I don't know why it's making me uh, uh, emotional why do you think you're getting emotional uh, because I, I I'm really proud of being an American but I have to admit I, I take no pleasure in this as watching watching this this death spiral of this this administration, this president, and the people that uh, surround him. How do you think this will all play out in the history books? I don't know. I hope that um, that the history isn't fully written yet. I hope that a lot of people that um, uh, that have a chance at redemption here stand up for what is right. And you will be seeing Hunter Biden on the campaign trail with his father, but as he unequivocally told us, only as long as he is not a distraction. And you can see more of our exclusive interview tonight on World News and on Nightline as well. Wow. Interesting to see when he got emotional. When, when he, he was, was talking about America. When right. he was talking about how much he loved his country. He, and he was, he was embarrassed. He was like, I can't believe I'm crying right now. But it was real. I mean, you could, we could feel his emotion and he couldn't control it. Wow. Senator Harris, uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has said that members of Congress have to be, in her words, fair to the president and give him a chance to exonerate himself. You've already said that based on everything you've seen, you would vote to remove him from office. Is that being fair to the president? Thank you, Senator Booker. Uh, Senator Klobuchar, you have uh, what, what do you say to those who fear that impeachment is a distraction from issues that impact people's day to day lives, health care, the economy and could backfire on Democrats? Thank you. Secretary Castro, is impeachment a distraction? Uh, Mayor Buttigieg, you have said that impeachment should be bipartisan. There's been obviously very little Republican support to date, yet Democrats are proceeding. Is that a mistake? The impeachment inquiry is centered on President Trump's attempts to get political dirt from Ukraine on Vice President Biden and his son Hunter. Mr. Vice President, President Trump has falsely accused your son of doing something wrong while serving on a company board in Ukraine. I want to point out there's no evidence of wrongdoing by either one of you. Having said that, on Sunday, you announced that if you're president, no one in your family or associated with you will be involved in any foreign businesses. My question is, if it's not okay for a president's family to be involved in foreign businesses, why was it okay for your son when you were vice president? Vice President Biden? Look, uh, my son did nothing wrong. There are no lengths the media will do to protect themselves and protect Democrats. How do I know that? 
MSDNC president waved zoomed-in photo of Maria Mununos' vagina at a staff meeting a year ago, and it just broke out. Just broke out. Just. That, that's, if that was Fox, where, where would we be? And remember, for those that are new to the show, hate tweets are just random shit I got off Twitter, like the following. We forgot who compiled it, but remember the carefully curated list of fake news sites that was going around, and then Paul Pointer came along with presented his own list of 515 sites that spread false or misleading information. Now there's something called the All Sides Media Bias Chart, and at least one library is using it to teach students which sources to avoid because of political bias. Our BS alarm went off when we saw NPR listed on the right down the center. Dana Liebelson. Today, the library taught my students to use the all-size media bias chart when evaluating sources and to avoid far left and far right. I hate this chart, but mostly because I'm supposed to believe the New Yorker is somehow equivalent to Breitbart. But this is their chart. I'm not going to read this partisan lib. Left-leaning. Surprising. Alternate, CNN, Now News. Uh, the Intercept, Mother Jones, MSNBC, New Yorker, New York Times, Nation, and Slate. Wow. Slightly left, The Atlantic, CBS, CNN, Online, The Guardian, NBC, The New York Times, Online, NPR, Politico, Time, Washington Post. Center, AP, BBC, Bloomberg, NPR, Reuters, The Hill, USA Today, and the Wall Street Journals. Right. Fox Online, Reason, the Wall Street Journal, Opinion, Examiner, the Washington Times. Far Right, Spectator, Blaze, CBN, Daily Caller, um, Daily Mail, Daily Wire, Fox News, Federalist, National Review, New York Post, and Newsmax. That's what they're saying. I'm not going to read the rest because it's summed up by people trying to defend this and Nick Searcy saying, my bias is better than your bias. And that's the actual truth. They are so caught up in this, the left. Because remember, what we've learned during the three years of Trump is that they are they don't want anything to get out that isn't their soup. I mean, it, it's just what they are. There should be no opposing views on any subject. There should be no opposing votes. So let's get rid of the Electoral College. There should be no opposing media, period. Fox must go away. And then this breaks. Sherry Redstone and Viacom CBS are exploring a launch, a conservative cable news competitor to Fox News. This Redstone plan for a new TV service also should have a streaming component. THR has learned that Pluto, which Viacom acquired in March for $340 million, is about to launch an unyet-announced streaming conservative news and opinion channel. Source says the idea for the network was in the works before the Pluto acquisition. Redstone has approached current and former Fox News personalities about such a plan, sources say, and uh, Megyn Kelly might be one of the people that goes into it. Instantly on the net, a journalist, Ian Milheiser, says the following thing. Should be my hate tweet of the day. 
I'm just going to toss it out there, but maybe someone should consider launching a liberal cable news station during a period when there's an unpopular Republican president and a higher engaged opposition to the president. Everybody in the world. Hang on. Aren't there already so many lib networks that they're dying off due to oversaturation in the market because of ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, MSNBC don't exist? Wow. But that's how they look at it. Remember, these people think CNN's straight-up news. Yeah. No bias whatsoever. The same foot they put forward for Fox, that the evening on Fox is conservative. With Hannity, Trump promoting. And all the other media channels are the same way. Well, that doesn't count. You go to the news. But anybody with an IQ above potato can tune into Fox, MSNBC, and CNN. And see, CNN and MSNBC all day are their night shows. Every one of their anchors is super, super lib. I mean, it's fine. It's freedom of speech. It's what our country's based on. But to pretend to be journalist, really? Has anybody ever watched Brooke Baldwin? She does her, this is America. That was on live TV about the, the Smollett fake hate crime. This is America 2019, just scoffing down at us. Then I spoke of gun grabs. We're going to play a soundbite. California enacts most radical gun seizure gun control law yet. Even the ACLU is speaking out. Gavin Newsom signed more than a dozen firearm-related bills on Friday, including one that expands the state's existing red flag law. One law allows Californians to purchase just one long gun per month starting in 2021. Another mandates that ammunition dealers at firearms show follow the same regulation as licensed firearm dealers. But one law in particular is being hailed as one of the most strict gun seizure laws in the nation. A law which allows co-workers, employers, and teachers to seek a red flag firearm restraining order against anyone they believe is a threat to themselves or others that asks a judge to temporarily take away their guns. Previously, only law enforcement and immediate family members could seek such an order. Newsom also signed a companion bill that allows a restraining order to remain in place for one to five years. The AP reports the same bill allows a judge to also issue a search warrant at the same time the restraining order is issued. The bill is so extreme that the ACLU is speaking out against it and saying it's a violation of the Second Amendment. No outrage on our media. We're still going with, we're taking your shit, a la Beto O'Rourke. Exactly how are you going to take away weapons from people who do not want to give them up and you don't know where they are? If someone does not turn in an AR-15 or an AK-47, one of these weapons of war, or, or brings it out in public and, and brandishes it in an attempt to intimidate, as we saw when we were at Kent State uh, recently, then that weapon will be taken from them. Uh, if they persist, there will be other consequences from law enforcement. Your your passion was at a different a different gear. You may not have known it, but it was obvious, man. And I wonder, are you afraid that uh, the the party is going in a direction that is just going to get get us killed here in the middle of the country? Is there is there something is there something that you're aware of now? That you're seeing the ascendance of Elizabeth Warren and some of these other ideas that has you afraid. So a little bit more of a pivot of we have to beat somebody in the form of this president. Here's why I think timing is now. Here are the choices. Warren was a target for you and others. Why? Why? why I have a question specifically on 
Senator Warren's answer to you on Medicare uh, for all and how she'll pay for it. But just broadly, why did you think it was so important to go after Senator Warren tonight in a way that you haven't before? Welcome back with me. As you can see, is New Jersey Senator uh, Cory Booker. Senator, thanks so much for joining us. I'm um, grateful, man. It, it did seem like there was a lot of criticism of Elizabeth Warren, especially coming from candidates that might be vying for the, more of the moderation, more, more the moderate lane kind of, Buttigieg, Klobuchar. I'm not asking you to, to be a pundit here, but were you surprised at how much incoming there was at her, especially because you were criticizing people for doing it? To be with you. Did the dynamics on the stage feel different? It felt like a lot more people were going directly at Senator Warren as opposed to Vice President Biden, including you. Now, we're here in Ohio, and Ohio has lost over 300,000 manufacturing jobs and went eight points uh, to Donald Trump in the last election. But that's a good story, but it's not the reality. That's what Senator Elizabeth Warren said. Innovation, you know, sounds good, makes great story. Not why we're losing jobs. I can't say that. Welcome back. We have with us Massachusetts Democratic Senator uh, Elizabeth Warren. And, Senator, uh, this was the first debate where you were really a co-frontrunner with uh, Vice President Biden. And I have to say, based on the amount of incoming going your way, it seems like whatever the Democratic voters think, your colleagues think that you're the frontrunner. <laughs> Do you think any of the attacks that you faced tonight were, were out of bounds? We want to turn back to domestic issues and the epidemic of gun violence in this country. We're less than 100 miles from Dayton, Ohio, where two months ago a gunman killed nine people using an AR-15-style weapon with a high-capacity magazine. Congressman O'Rourke, in the last debate, you said, quote, hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15, your AK-47. But when you were asked how you'd enforce a mandatory buyback, you said... Police wouldn't be going door to door. So how exactly are you going to force people to give up their weapons? You don't even know who has those weapons. Congressman, to, to let me follow up. Follow the law. Just to follow up, your expectations aside, uh, your website says you will find people who don't uh, give up their weapons. That doesn't take those weapons off the street. So to be clear, exactly how are you going to take away weapons from people who do not want to give them up and you don't know where they are? Mr. Uh, Mayor Buttigieg, just yesterday you referred to mandatory buybacks as confiscation and said that Congressman O'Rourke has been picking a fight to try to stay relevant. Your response on guns? Klobuchar, Senator Warren, uh, Senator Warren uh, supports a voluntary, uh, excuse me, Senator, uh, Senator Klobuchar, you... You support a voluntary buyback, if I'm correct, right. Uh, what is wrong with a mandatory buyback? Senator, uh, Senator Warren, uh, you support a voluntary gun buyback of assault-style weapons as well. Why not a mandatory one? Senator Harris, talk, you disagree with Senator Warren. You think the buyback should be mandatory. I want to go back to what, what Mayor Pete said about Beto's confiscation plans. Um, it, it's, it is a radical plan. I think the Supreme Court would consider it unconstitutional. Nobody, and I mean nobody, uh, other than Beto, uh, wants doors kicked down. Uh, Reverend Al told me, he said, man, if there was a gun confiscation plan and people were kicking down doors, he said, I wouldn't be able to make all my calls on civil rights because I would have a lot of black Americans calling me up yelling saying i was being targeted it is though I, I i do not doubt beto's good intentions it is a stupendously bad idea and you take that idea and his idea to tax churches mm. if they actually preach 
uh, uh, preach uh, the gospel and and preach the Bible inside churches about same-sex marriage. If they if they have the freedom to preach the way they want to preach inside their churches, whether it's churches, synagogues, or mosques. I mean, do we really want to start taxing mosques? Do we really want to start taxing synagogues? So, and the Democrats seem united on this, except Beto. But make no mistake, Willie, confiscation of guns, the taxing of churches, and the taking away of private health insurance from 165 Americans is going to be repeated around the clock between now and next November by whomever is the Republican nominee. So, uh, Congressman, so let me ask you, let's say I have an AR-15. I bought it legally five years ago. I'm a law-abiding citizen. You want to buy it back as President of the United States. I say no. Uh, You give me other incentives. I say no. I bought this legally. I'm keeping this. I live on a ranch. I need it for protection. What would you do then? First of all, I, I wouldn't concede the, the point on following the law. I, I you know, don't know you well, Joe, but I, would, I know you well enough to expect you to, to follow the law, even if it's a law that you disagree with. I think it's one of the so, things that so distinguishes for, us so, 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 as so a country. We're, we're a country of laws. Let's, okay, but let, let's just assume that there's a rancher in Texas that doesn't, that says, I'm not going to do this because this is an unjust law and it's unconstitutional. What's the next step? I think that's what we need to concede because there will be people that don't turn their guns back in. What's the next step for the the federal government there? Yeah, I I think just as in any law that is not followed uh, or flagrantly abused, there there have to be consequences uh, or or else there is no respect for for the law. So, you know, in that case, uh, I think there would be a, a visit by law enforcement to recover that firearm and to make sure that it is purchased, bought back, so that it cannot be potentially used against somebody else. I fully expect my fellow Americans to follow the law. You expect mass shooters to follow the law? Our fellow Americans will follow the law, yes. Congressman, um, mass shooters don't follow, by definition, million... the mass shooters in Parkland, in El Paso, I could go on for 10 minutes. They don't follow the law, by definition. There are so many instances where the proposals that we've made, whether it is a universal background check or a red flag law or ending the sale of weapons of war or buying those that are out there back, would have stopped many of the shootings that we see in a country that loses 40,000 people a year to gun violence. Would it stop every single shooting? No. But that should be no excuse for not taking action now while we have the opportunity to do the right thing. Yeah. And we also shouldn't be limited by the politics or the conventional political wisdom or the polling or the consultant yeah. class or the no, NRA I, I on, on I mean, finally taking that, decisive action. Understood. And I think that what, what uh, Mayor Bridget was saying, yeah, this it's obviously think high, aim, you know, shoot for something aspirational. But it doesn't make sense that people are going to hand over their assault weapons if they're mass shooters, if they want to do harm to people, they're not going to follow the law. So then what's your plan? Yeah. So I, I don't know that you make any law or stop making any law because you fear that some people will not follow the law in, in any part of, of American life. And so, yes, if somebody has a, an assault weapon, a, a weapon of war, and poses a danger to people in their lives or people in their community or people in our lives, 
then, then we're going to stop them. And, Meaning um, what? And You're going to go to their house. Just, just tell us how it works. You're going to go to some, if somebody doesn't voluntarily hand over their assault weapon, you're going to go to their house, and then what? If if we pass this law, um, then I expect our fellow Americans to, to follow the law. And and this is not speculation. We've seen other countries do this, yeah, like I Australia. Law, I mean, seen a significant decrease the in law. Law-abiding people follow the law, but our problem is with mass shooters who don't. Right now, as I'm recording, I am wearing a shirt that I got this weekend. It's a beautiful AR, and it says, I will not comply. Yeah, that, that's what I'm wearing. I'll wear this shirt in public today. The wife got one. She's the one that picked them out at a booth. We were at the Katie's Ham Festival. Really good weekend. And... uh I actually bought something for my sister for her birthday. I hope she gets it today. It's supposed to show up today, as long as the post office doesn't fuck up. But but additionally, we're not covering a lot of the illegal shit. And, and don't worry, the tweet of the day today is the damn debate. Everybody's like, oh, god damn, I can't believe he's not mocking it. Oh, it, it's coming. Um, but I, I want you to know that latest analyst of illegal immigration, Ken Cuccinelli, 22 million illegals in this country. Twice what they think. 22 million. Yeah. But you're going to hear this shit all the time on our media. This happens to be Univision. But this is almost an infomercial for illegal immigration. Es por eso que es tan importante que los indocumentados entiendan que a pesar de no tener papeles, sí tienen derechos. Pueden exigir incluso la asesoría de un abogado y si no tienen dinero para pagarlo, siempre está la opción de llamar a una organización pro-inmigrantes. Lo importante es que no se dejen dominar por el miedo. To our tweets of the day. USA Today print edition headed for the sunset as Gatehouse and Gannett merges. Anybody's ever been in a hotel, you know USA Today is handed to you. And it was so vile to me that I literally, literally, literally would tell them, don't put it in front of my door. And they wouldn't because it was just a liberal fucking rag. Um, Then we have Momo. Well, first before Momo, let's play this. Cuomo. This is a journalist once again. He's a nonpartisan, so say it CNN and himself, telling a Republican, you've done a double wrong here by supporting a Republican president. Did you ever hear this under Obama on CNN? Is supposed to declare you. war. And you guys won't even negotiate a new AUMF. And by the way, Republicans stop it. So you should go and after your own colleagues. But that's I not what totally today was. I totally go against my colleagues, and that was what the vote today was. No, when I went to today the floor of the House, was you when should I went not to the have abandoned the, House, the Kurds. No, when I went to the floor of the House, that was my objection to my Republican and Democratic colleagues. You have not done your job. There's no authority in Congress to have these men and women on Syrian ground. And that's what President Obama asked me. That's where I took the position then, and I reaffirmed that position today. If we're going to do this, give me a clear mission, give me authority in Congress, Congress do its job, and then we send the message to all our allies, Congress is backing up our commander-in-chief, and we're there until the mission is complete. Have you said to this commander-in-chief, I want you to understand what my vote is today. Uh, I don't believe we should be in Syria, but what you did with the Kurds was cowardly, 
And it was wrong, and it was un-American, and now we look terrible, and we don't have any guarantee of allies to fight against ISIS, who you just enhanced. And Chris, I guess you, you approve of men and women being in Syria under our military uh, banner and doing that without congressional authority. That's Listen, my fundamental I've been asking you guys point. to do your job. You haven't. You didn't speak out against this president when he bombed in Syria. So I don't know where this genuine belief that you have now is in terms of consistency. When but if they're bombing, there already, you can't bombing, double Chris, the wrongs. Chris, you don't, you did a double wrong. Here. Okay, Chris, I appreciate that judgment, but what I will say, when you're bombing, seeking intelligence, that's different than putting men and women on the soil, boots on the ground. True, but they're both use the of military force, and you're supposed to do both. The only time the Amen. president can do it himself, as you know, is imminent threat to us, our people, Correct. or our foreign interests. That bombing what... didn't qualify, but you never said anything. And when, when we bring our men and women home, I would share that concern about our men, men and women, and that's why I'm going to continue to stand. If we're going to go into harm's way, Congress needs to do its job. That's the message I sent today. That's how I read the resolution, and I'm proud of the vote that I put down today then, for a marker of the people. I hear what you're arguing, Congressman, but why did you argue that you recognize... I put it in the tweets of the day because it's just they don't even care anymore. You got Chuck Todd. I'm not airing shit. I won't give other opinions. You got this dork. I mean, really. Then we got Momo. An interesting story, but it sums up the left. A few weeks ago, we were having a really nice dinner, which, by the way, Momo is a Twitter personality. She's a conservative young lady. Very pretty, by the way. And um, I follow her on Twitter, and she just does good stuff. But anyway, a few weeks ago, we are having a really nice dinner with my Sill, sister-in-law, whom I adore. She's pretty radically Brett Lefty, but that doesn't matter to me at all. I love her as my own sister. We're having fun and laughing throughout dinner. During dessert, she decided to ask me in the most condescending manner possible how it could possibly be that my parents, whom she loves, voted for Trump because they're otherwise so good and kind. She didn't want to upset me, but felt like it was somehow an appropriate question to ask, as if my parents are some sort of freaks for voting for him. How can they vote for him when he acts the way he does, she asked me. My parents who have spent their whole lives helping other people, the homeless, battered women, the disabled, giving endless time, their home, their food, their money, to people who needed help. She acted like they are immoral for voting for him. Every day here I encounter someone who thinks he is morally superior because he votes the right way. These people go on and on about how they are the only civil rights people left while they call Trump supporter maggots and all other manner of names. This is a sickness. You're not morally superior because you vote a certain way. If you think you are, you need to seriously evaluate your mental and moral health. If you really want to contribute to healthy discourse, stop acting like and thinking people who disagree with you politically are subhuman. Otherwise, you're part of the problem with your own our discourse, and you should probably stop pretending you want good discourse. And that's true. They don't want good discourse. They want you to shut the fuck up and only say the things they want. That's what it's about. And it's really sad and highly apparent with our worst of the dim debate. They truly believe they are above everybody. They're the smartest person in the room. They're morally astute. And you're a fucking douche because you don't vote like them. So, here it is. Can't ignore it. 
Where's the dim debate? We're going to go straight into news, social, media nuggets. And I feel qualified to say this as the vegan on the stage. We know that the most unhealthy person running for their for the presidency in 2020 is Donald Trump. I've done 140 town halls now, been to 27 states in Puerto Rico. Should have done 70,000 selfies. Should have done 70,000 selfies. That I would see out the windows of my dad's Chevy Cavalier when he drove me to school. Now, I drive my own Chevy. It's a Chevy Cruze. Chevy, the most dependable, longest-lasting trucks on the road. You say your federal jobs guarantee is part of the answer to the threat from automation. But tens of millions of Americans could end up losing their jobs. Are you promising that you will have a job for every single one of those Americans? Damn right we will. Uh, look, I don't have a beef with billionaires. Why is it does everyone else on this stage think it is more important to protect billionaires? Show me your budget, show me your tax plans, and we'll know what your values are. The rich are not like you and me. Exactly how are you going to take away weapons from people who do not want to give them up and you don't know where they are. That weapon will be taken from them. Uh, if they persist, there will be other consequences from law enforcement. I, I don't see law enforcement going door to door. Um, I see Americans complying with the law. We want to move now to the economy. I, Senator I, I, Warren, please. you've proposed I'm some sweeping plans, free public college. Thank, thank you. We're going to keep Senator Warren. Long to move on. Colleges and universities. Thank and you, cancel, Senator Warren. No, let me finish, please. And cancel student loan debt for 95% of the people who have it. My question is not why do Bernie and I support a wealth tax, it's why is it does everyone else on this stage think it is more important to protect billionaires than it is to invest in an entire generation of Americans? Thank you, Senator Warren. Taxes. 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 Taxing. Taxes. 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 Tax. Taxes. 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 Tax, 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 taxation, taxing, taxing, tax, 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 tax. I would, I would raise the capital gains tax. We are going to raise taxes on the wealthy. So we put a two cent tax. I'm all for a wealth tax. Fair taxes for the richest. Impeached. Impeachment inquiry about impeachment. 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 The Sir, impeachment. You're all going to get in on this, by the way. Impeach President Trump. Impeachment. Impeachment process. Impeachment. Impeachment of President Trump. Impeachment proceeding. I don't really think this impeachment process is going to take very long. The Impeachment. An impeachment trial. Impeachment is a distraction. It's impeachment. Impeachment a distraction? Impeach the impeachment. Impeachment. Impeachment process. Impeach. Impeaching. Impeach the president. Impeachment. Impeaching Donald Trump. Not impeaching Donald Trump. On impeachment. The impeachment. It's impeachment. It's impeached. If impeachment. If impeachment is driven by these hyper-partisan interests, it will only further divide an already terribly divided country. Impeachment. Impeach. If impeachment. Impeach the impeachment. About impeachment. 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 The Sir, impeachment. You're all going to get in on this, by the way. Were you trying to get crazy with this, see? Don't you know I'm local? Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind.
Military Corner. Drill Sergeant to Sergeant Major of the Army. Non-grunt Army recruits need Marine combat training. Good luck, pal. Told many stories on the show of when I was a drill and I talked to IG or important people and say, hey, we probably don't need them to be together during basic because all they do is want to fuck. And then we got a letter from General Bolt, who was in charge of Fort Jackson at the time. And told us to shut our fucking yappers. Big changes to grueling special forces course draw scrutiny. Pretty damning shit. They're going to change the standards so more people can fucking complete it. And that's not going over well at all. Soldier dies 10 years after being shot in the head while working for Bo Bergdahl. I want to remember... I want people to remember that. That was the problem with anybody who was in the military or conservatives in general about how Obama treated Bergdahl. He walked off his post. People died trying to rescue him. Here's another one dying 10 years later from complications from his injuries. And we were supposed to treat him like a hero? And Obama brought his Taliban-loving dad to the White House? Really? Hmm. New chairman of Joint Chief says, Stay out of politics is a great idea. Army M1 tanks are getting the ability to locate and destroy enemy missiles. Leonardo and Raphael Advanced Defense System Limited of Israel announced today the team has delivered the first trophy active protection system to the Army, roughly two years after the service began searching for ways to protect its tanks and armor vehicles from anti-armor missile threats from potential adversaries such as Russia and China, and it's a, basically kind of like a Patriot missile system, but for a tank. Hmm. Then the Army units are going to Europe to spring for Defender 2020. It looks like it's going to be uh, 20,000 soldiers. A G3 is going to be in charge. They're coming for 1st Cavalry Division, 1st Armored Division, 1st Infantry Division, 3rd Infantry Division, and 82nd Airborne Division. Which brings us to our Army Times. Cover, no end in sight. A push to end the 18-year Afghan war has failed. Now what? Yeah, now what? Probably not going to be very good. Uh, more about the new goggles. Everybody loves them. Really want to get my hands on a pair of those. They have a fallen uh, Green Beret killed in Afghanistan. Saw first class Jeremy W. Griffin, 41, was killed in action by small arms fire during combat operations in Wadak province, Afghanistan, September 16th. I think we covered it on the show. Army Secretary nominee talks priorities, more artillery troops, missiles that will change the geometry in Southeast Asia. Asia. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, troops in South Korea have 90 more days of curfew suspensions, all because of one dickhead. That guy is not, yeah, he's not mine. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Student loan crisis, not Mideast wars, helped Army exceed recruiting goals. That happens a lot. People come in to pay off the college. It's a good deal. Big thing on that autistic soldier. Infantrymen arrested for allegedly offering bomb-making instruction to target politicians. We already covered that. Huge article on now what? Showing troops in action. Sorry, I just skim it. If there's anything interesting, I'll read, but it's not. Uh, veteran suicide still increasing. We know that. 
New plan would dramatically expand GI Bill family transfer rules for troops and veterans. I wish I could have participated in that. I couldn't. I was not grandfathered. That would have been fucking amazing for my kids. And my son didn't need it because he went for free, but, um, yeah. The Pentagon's plan for chemical contamination. A lot of stuff going on for nuclear, biological. Been seeing that on post with China. Yeah, we, we, we got it. It's probably not going to be good. Military money. What's up with beer and wine and commissaries and curbside pickup? Things people ask for they didn't get. <laughs> it's funny. That's the last thing the Army needs to do. When they came out with the freaking credit card for the Army only, and you could get gas and buy shit at the shop, Ed, I got really pissed as you know, enlisted. Mm. That's something we should not be doing. All right, that's your Army Times. Pretty boring copy this month. Or this, yeah, every two weeks. I don't know when the fuck I get it. I don't read it half the time, but... All right, let's go to some more spooky music, and we're going to come into our college fucking crazy, where you're going to hear a professor ties black female obesity, you guessed it, to Trump. Yeah, it's his fault. They're fat. That's a new one.
Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. It's why they call me. when people talk about black women being obese i hate it because it becomes a way to blame us for a set of conditions that we didn't create we are living in the trump era and look those policies kill our people you can't get access to good health care good insurance the research says that black women when we do the same diets as white women we lose less weight and we lose it slower. And what public health practitioners think is that our stress responses in the body change our metabolism. It's literally that the racism that you're experiencing and the struggle to make ends meet actually means the diet don't work for you the same. I'm with you. But I think it's also really important for us to know that we have the power to choose how we see ourselves. Sure. We will be fortified to fight all of these other external issues when we pour into ourselves enough to say, I love me. I am not the conditions that surround me. I am not my experience. I am more than the circumstances that I have gone. That is a new one, man. I'm going to blame Obama. Because during his presidency, my back broke, and then I got fat. So, it's Obama's fault. Sounds good to me. Governor California signs law requiring colleges to offer free abortions. That's right. Senate Bill 24, the College Student Right to Access Act, passed California legislators September, giving Newsom about one month to either sign or veto it. He signed it. As of other states and federal governments go backwards, restricting reproductive freedoms, California are moving forward. Free! Free abortions. Could be just free birth control. That's a concept, but, you know, what the fuck? What the fuck? According to the most recent enrollment data, 481,210 students are enrolled in CSU and 280,380 enrolled at UC campus. Total 761,590 students. Of those, 272,779 are females. 141 and 419 would be covered by the new thing, and that's just fucking sick. It's just fucking sick. Sick, sick, sick. University of Florida claims students showed civility and tolerance at Trump Jr. event, but the video shows that's bullshit. Um, let's get into the meat and potatoes. I'm not going to play it because the video is really long. At the time when we faced challenge with civil discourse, students at the University of Florida exemplified civility and tolerance this evening, the statement read. Despite intense disagreement among students over the invited speaker, the event proceeded without disruption. Groups representing all viewpoints had their say. The highest ideals of free speech is what they said. 
U.F. is facing backlash with certain organizations from a statement. Turning point in the USA chapter, U.F. issued a response saying the U.F. statement was a de- demonstrable lie. Our entire core membership, as well as Young Americans for Freedom and College Republicans, witnessed heckler veto the entire night. Had it not been for spirited patriots who applaud the speaker's positive message, the night would have been ruined for everyone. It was, fuck you, Charlie... Protesters continuously disrupted the speaker, and the university did not fulfill their obligation for Guilfoyle and Trump to be able to speak. And yeah, that doesn't surprise me. University of Maine publicly publicly shames college Republicans for Columbus Day comment. Uh, we are horrified by Dean Robert Dana's destructive. Behavior. His email today has created a hostile political environment, even more extreme. He clearly has no regards for personal safety and well-being of members of the University of Maine College Republicans. If any of our members are attacked, bullied, or intimidated, it's on you. Blah, 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 blah. So what did he say? Um, let's see. The most of the time, the communists rewrite history. We went at the group voice opinion. Maine's John Ferrari and Dean of Students, Vice President of Student Life, Robert Dana, sent an email student body to provide the University of Maine position on recent Facebook posts by the University of Maine College Republicans. Position reflected and reported. We posted on the page are neither supported nor reflected by the University of Maine's values and principles of inclusivity and equality. 15th century Spanish war propaganda to dehumanize indigenous people, implying all indigenous people of Americans are brutal savages. We fully understand this sort of material is upsetting to many members of our community and does not align with the values or stated value of our university. University of Maine is community brought together in our differences and some of our most highly held values are civility, inclusion, compassion, understanding. La, 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 la. The email closed the appeal to free speech. An announcement the university will be co-hosting group discussions with students for indigenous people saying that white people are the devil. All they said was that it's fucking Columbus Day, not Indigenous People Day, but you can't do that anymore. University of New Mexico replaced Spanish conquistador on official seal after complaints of symbolic violence. Not reading it. Symbolic. It's a symbol. It's violent. It just, oh, it's so horrible. Oh, symbolic violence. You fucking toadies. Let's go to gay shit. Hey, hey, hey. Bow, bow, bow. Little pump and cut. Hey, gay shit, 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 gay shit. So we know that liberals hate chick filet, or I like to call chicken fuckers, because I love that's chicken fuckers. That's some good food. Now dig this. Eater London, cult followed anti-LGBTQ chicken restaurant Chick-fil-A makes full UK debut in reading. James Hansen, regret to inform you that the fried chicken is homophobic. The fried chicken chain, which posted sales of $10.5 billion in 2018 and America's third largest fast food chain by McDonald's and Subway, is rumored to be plotting a London restaurant, but regional UK cities are very much within its plans. As Eastern East Eater's Ryan Sutton observed in his definitive review of Chick-fil-A, its Christian grounding 
lends to community is in religious regions of the United States. Its expansion in the UK, a brand necessarily renders its venue a symbol, a symbol whose mere presence evokes a type of anger, normality, normally directed at unqualified politicians. The chain deflected from questions about further expansion, telling U.S. network CNBC that's focused on locally, blah, blah, blah. So now in Canada, you'll hear a bunch of people gnashing teeth because somebody's religious and said that they didn't believe in gay marriage. That's all they said. They didn't work to stop it. They just said it like 80 years ago. You fucking totes. Air Canada won't greet passengers as ladies and gentlemen in recognition of gender fluidity. Oh, look at that. That's going to get people flying. That 0.07% fucking business plan is epic. Fox News reports that the airlines make the change as part of a company-wide commitment to be more welcoming to those who don't strictly identify as either male or female. The change will mostly affect onboard announcements made over public address system and boarding announcements made in the gate area of Air Canada's hub airports. Employees will now use the symbol, everyone or totally Monday. Yeah. We'll amend our onboard announcement to modernize and remove specific gendered words. Hmm. Then GQ came out, the new masculinity issues out, and here you go. Farrell covered GQ nasc- masculinity issue and exploration in identity, culture, and style in 2019. Motherfuckers wearing a yellow with blue fringe, it looks like it's a fucking curtain, but it's made out of a fucking sleeping bag or a puff coat. That's the new masculinity. The media is getting to a point where it's becoming so ridiculous that it will become a sideshow in society. No one is going to take GQ seriously after this, and I see so many outlets following suit. Brandon Morse, he's wearing a sleeping bag. It's a sleeping bag! What's wrong with being a guy anymore? You know, scratching balls, farting, burping, somewhat hygienic. What what happened to that in America? I mean, you want those guys when it's a war because you don't want your gay guys and skinny jeans drinking fucking half-calf, deflap, flip-flop, fuk fucking lattes. When the wolf's at the door, they're good guys. But the rest of the time, what the fuck? Planned Parenthood. Respect people's pronouns and use them. If you don't know someone's pronoun, it's okay to ask. It's also okay if you mess up a person's pronoun by accident. It happens. Just apologize Apologize in effort to use the correct pronoun in the future. Hashtag pronoun day. Somebody shot back. I learned everything I need to know about pronouns from Schoolhouse Rock. That'll be all. Enduring all this while we're worrying about pronouns, youth suicide rate increased 56% in a decade, CDC says. Report finds homicide death rate rose slightly after years of declines. Suicide and homicide rate have increased in recent years among young people in the U.S. Suicide rate among people ages 10 to 24 climbed 56% between 2007 and 17, according to a report from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. The rate of homicide death decreased by 23% in 2007-2014 for the same fucking time period. Nowhere in it is it leaked to pronoun use or gay bashing. But it made me think. We talk about it on the show all the time. The internet world makes it really hard for these kids. They need to be accepted in real life and then they got to be accepted in the internet. Worried about getting likes and shit. 
But is anybody ever talked about how hard it is to navigate the current world? As a kid? I mean, it's bad enough you got to fit in and have the right clothes and be with the right group and see them with the right people. Now you got all this LGBTQ EIEIO shit on top and you can't say this and you can't say that. Christopher Columbus is a mass murderer. I mean, Jesus, it's got to be tough. But Julian Castro's all in, even though he's not going to get elected. Using someone's correct pronoun and giving your own isn't difficult. It's, I'm Julian Castro. He, him, L.A. It takes one extra breath to help people feel seen and respected. I think that's worth it. Someone reminded us that it's really hard for some people and can trigger anxiety and dysphoria. I'm great to learn how to be more inclusive to people all genders. I'm Julian Castro, pender, 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 somebody said. And more importantly, they already have dysphoria, douche nozzle. It's called gender dysphoria. They don't know who the fuck they are. They need a psychiatrist, not a sex change. Dr. Jennifer Gunter is an OBGYN, which is interesting because she basically spends all her time arguing that unborn babies should never make it to delivery. In response to live action, Leela Rose tweeting about the stupid bill signing. Jennifer Gunter did the usual. Semantics, semantics, semantics. It is very safe. Women know what they are doing. It isn't forced. No children are affected. Science supports this. Your post is an attack on the truth. Get some dignity. And some facts. Somebody said no children are affected. Um, I think the baby's being killed. This is a response reply. This is a doctor. It's not a baby dipshit. It's a fetus. We order a fetal ultrasound, not a baby ultrasound. And back into the semantics. Can't call it a baby. You humanize that shit. We won't be able to get our funding so we can finance democratic elections. Planned Parenthood security guard pushes journalists. Police report filed. Never hit the media. He fucking threw the motherfucker on the ground. Nor did this make the media. Somebody actually having the temerity to ask, Hey, yo, what's a less crunchy abortion? You're a journalist. And uh, I just heard your evidence there in court. You're- I'm not a doctor. You're an employee, you employ Dr. Gatter, who said that she would ask one of the surgeons to employ a less crunchy technique during the abortion so that the procurement service would get a better quality organ. Is that a proper way to do an abortion? Is that legal? Is it legal to change an abortion technique to get a better organ to sell? Ms. Bonner, you give evidence. Dr. Gatter did say she would ask the surgeon to have a less crunchy technique. Are you, are you denying that's what Dr. Gatter said oh, in the video? Hi, okay. no, I'm just leaving right now. And um, and what, what time is your break? Dr. Gatter, why didn't... Why didn't you excuse break? Me. Why didn't you excuse reprimand? Me. Excuse me. Dr. She's Gatter, getting why, into the car, please. Step rep- away, sir. Why didn't you reprimand? Step away, sir. Why didn't you reprimand? Is it okay then to change yeah. abort- an abortion okay. technique? Keep your hands off me. Don't touch me. Okay? Back off. 
going to answer the question. Turning to re women's reproductive rights, Ohio is now one of several states that has banned abortions after as early as six weeks of pregnancy. Many women don't even know they are pregnant at that time. The Ohio law, like many others, is being challenged in the courts and has not yet taken effect. Senator Harris, if states prevail on restricting abortion, what's your plan to stop them? The Supreme Court is currently made up of five Republican-appointed justices and four appointed by Democrats. The court just announced it will hear arguments in a case challenging some abortion rights. Vice President Biden, the Constitution does not specify the number of justices that serve on the Supreme Court. If Roe v. Wade is overturned on your watch and you can't pass legislation in Congress, would you seek to add justices to the Supreme Court to protect women's reproductive rights? I would not get into court packing. We, we add three justices. Next time around, we lose control. They add three justices. Sick, sick fucker. But CNN demands to know how 2020 Democrats will stop pro-life states. I think that's one of the sound bites you heard in there. Jesus fucking Christ. Sexual harassment accusations roll in against Lauer. Affair with well-respected NBC stars. It's not stopping. It's not. It keeps on coming. He is the gift that keeps gifting. Then the BLM. Black Lives Matter launches National 2020 Voter Drive targeting Generation Z. BLM, it's time to center what matters and fight for the change we need. Join the conversation. What matters 2020? Black Lives Matter. According to the website, demographic shifts mean that in the 2020 election, non-whites will account for a third of voters and one in ten voters will be remember Generation Z. It says the campaign will amplify the intersection of art, technology, and politics while sparking pop culture moments across the country to build a collective power. Organizers intend to focus on progressive causes such as LGBTQEIO, black immigration, what the fuck is that, common sense gun laws. We will know that we are successful when each candidate has an acceptable and tangible comprehensive plan that specifically addresses racial injustice, criminal justice reform, police brutality, and reparations, among other issues that impact the black community. I'm still trying to figure out how reparations affects it. Oh, you need money? Okay. Well, any of the Democrats are going to give you money. It's free money. Other things from this, only 30% of Gen Z approves of Trump's handling of his job. 59 majority of Gen Zers say people should have other opinions than man and woman on gender. Two-thirds of Gen Z believe black people are treated less fairly. 61% of Gen Z approve of NFL players kneeling. 53% of post-millennials say too many people are easily offended by the language used by others. And you offend me every fucking day. Bad news, drivers. Seems no longer acceptable to use a certain term to refer to an area you can't see. This is real, folks. I'm not making it up. Kimberly Jane Aaron is fighting to make it accessible or burn it down and also to smash white supremacy, of course. And she declared that said unmentionable term an archaic and ableist and just plain rude. PSA. We are replacing an ableist term with the term dead angle. It means a spot in your periphery you cannot see or an area not covered by CCTV. 
You will probably already know what term I'm replacing, so I'm not even going to tell you. Dead angle. Use it till other people conform. Conform. That's that's what she says. And she's talking about blind spot. Blind spot is now a term you're not supposed to use. Because it's ableist. Really. At least she's honest to say conform. Because that's what this is all about. Conform. Obey. All this stuff. Go back to Obama. It's on steroids now. It's not, you know, fucking... Yes, we can. No, you will. That's that's their new slogan. Zuby, a black rapper. I've been at a hip-hop conference in Atlanta for past five days. First time in the city. Almost everybody who knew me and heard me about me through Joe Rogan, Ben Shapiro, Dave Rubin, or Candace Owens. This is a rap conference in Atlanta. In comes Tom Arnold. Dude, fire your agent. You're at a Klan rally. Sports Illustrated writer Grant Wall apologized for a now-deleted tweet of his where he accused members of the Furman University's soccer team of using the dreaded OK gesture. The Anti-Defamation League has designated the OK sign as a hate symbol, but it's also true that Furman players have been showing the sign to honor number three, Emery May. My sincere apology for Furman. This is a journalist. The whole world got into it and said, maybe you should look for facts first. Oh, fuck that shit. Julia Lewis-Dreyfus brings us women's rights, stupid shit. Women don't have equal rights in the U.S. Constitution. That's insane. If we can just flip four seats in Virginia, we can finally ratify the ERA. You go, girl. Yeah. The Hill brings us our stupid. This is so fucking stupid. It hurts my spleen. Actually, don't know where my spleen is, but it's hurting in that area. Ocasio-Cortez is getting her own action figure, and we have no idea what this means. It's a commercial endeavor, i.e. ka-ching, crowdfunded. But we plan to align with a social mission that matches the values of the real-life counterpart. It's a commercial endeavor, but we really do believe in the ideals of Rose, Rolls, uh, in the ideals of the heroes we portray, I don't know how fucked up, we try to align each action figure with a social mission that matches the values of the real-life counterpart. If this project gets funded, we plan to align AOC figure with the Sunrise Movement, a grassroots organization that works along the real AOC champion of the Green New Deal. Although we know the Sunrise Movement is not a grassroots, it is funded by Steyer, but okay, and Soros. They have action figures for her? Bernie, Warren, RGB, Obama, and Harris. And it goes back to that old adage, a reporter, actual reporter, walked around with Obama action figure in her fucking purse. And now they all want one. You know, the only action figure I've ever purchased was this one. That's what I'm talking about. Gunny! That's the action figure I have right here in the office. But Jesus, you fucking people. I, I, I have nothing else to say on that. I, have you, I do have a... I, what the fuck? How do you hero worship people like this? I mean, I have Brett Favre bobbleheads. I had fucking 
you know, Brett Favre fucking figure. Sports, I get it. But politicians? Really? If, if your hero is AOC first and foremost, you got some serious fucking problems, man. You, you need to get a clue. A bartender who just says fucking words fed to her by an organization is not a hero. She hasn't had an original idea ever. It just regurgitated bullshit. To our crazy crime, it's Halloween oriented. This is a good one. Family finds basement filled with blood. Jesus, Jay, this is the grossest thing ever. Many Americans look forward to Halloween, but this season one family got enough scares the last lifetime as their basement filled with blood. Nick Lestita, his wife and their five children, lived peacefully for 10 years in their Bagley, Iowa home. Earlier this month, however, Lestita discovered his basement covered by five inches of blood and animal fat. Some things you think you'll never see, he told the Des Moines Register. The animal byproduct ended up in Lestina's house via a drain at Dahl's Custom Meat Locker, which is right next door. The home and the locker share a common tile line, which is usually used to dispose of wastewater. The Register reports. However, after the meat locker disposed of animal blood and fat down their drain, the tile line became clogged, forcing gallons of gore into their basement. Right now, the Stina family cannot safely reside in their home. Instead, they're staying with relatives until the biohazard can be cleaned up. The household left its location directly adjacent to Doll Locker, Google Street View. Lestina said the clean the cleanup will cost him two thousand. He says also got a quote from a plumber at twenty three hundred for the sump pump and the water heater since the pump, which is only three months old, had a bunch of animal fat run through it and his water pe- heater is all sorts of fucked up. That's Fucking gross. It's so fucking gross. Other things kinda related. Stranger Things season three got 64 million viewers. Now, anybody out there who watched Stranger Things, I did. I stopped watching mid of two. The first was good. The season two was all sorts of stupid, and three was just horrible. Couldn't even do it. And last but not least, before we go to our lighter fair, and this is America from Sean in Oregon. It's a good one. Ever proving that Democrats have to fucking ruin everything, New Jersey Division of Taxation steps in and says, hold my beer, we're going to fuck this all up. Just a reminder, pumpkin used for decoration are subject to sales tax. Pumpkins used for food or in food preparation are tax-free. Yeah. They had to do it. It's what they do to everything. If it's not, hey, you can't wear this, it's, we're going to tax you on your pumpkin decorations. First thing out of my wife's mouth on this one was, well, just lie at the register. I mean, what do you do? It's like the missionary position in every state. How do you fucking enforce that? Yeah, I make a pumpkin pie, motherfucker. Suck it. Like, I'm going to actually say, I'm buying these pumpkins for decoration if you're going to tax me on a fucking pumpkin. You're an idiot. To our lighter fare, it's political related. This is the latest CNN promo for CNN. And I just laughed my ass off when I heard this. Since they're one of the major contributors of the soundbite we had a couple months ago of impeachment being said 200 fucking times in eight hours. This one's all about impeachment. 
the impeachment inquiry. Stay updated, stay informed with up-to-the-minute breaking news and analysis. There's only one place for it all. CNN.com slash impeachment. Yeah, that's a news channel. News. Oh, you're impeachment. Come to us! We need the fucking ratings. To our This Is America from Sean in Oregon. This is pretty fucking sad. 92 dead on street of Portland. These aren't just faceless people. One was our son. Just a few years ago, after being in and out of adult foster care, Tyler Chisholm told his parents he was going to live in the street of Portland. It was frightening, Heather Chisholm remembered. According to Mark and Heather Chisholm, their son struggled. He had developmental disabilities growing up and had trouble finding where he fit in. Nearly one year ago, they got the life-altering news. and he said something had happened to Tyler, it wasn't surprising. But the next sentence, he was dead. It was shocking. According to Portland Police, Tyler was murdered in Old Town. Then we found out that he was stabbed on the street at night, Heather said. 92 people, including Tyler, died while homeless on the street of Multnomah County last year. According to a new county report, it is the most since Multnomah started counting this in 2011. 53% died from substance, like meth or opioids. 11% were murdered and 10% died of suicide. But Mark Chisholm wants you to know his son was not a statistic. These aren't just faceless people. One of them was our son, Mark said. This is not just some individual on the street. One of them was a boy we raised. It makes it very personal. As the numbers rise, he says he's encouraging by the lack of progress, discouraging by the lack of progress. Although the city seems to be working on the problem, there isn't a lot of progress that's been made, Mark said. As me and Sean texted each other yesterday, first thing out of my mouth was San Francisco, Los Angeles. And he rightly said Seattle. As these liberal cities open up their doors, sanctuary cities. How many people are dying and you don't even know? So here's the soundbite accompanied the story he sent me. Thanks, Sean. This was the worst thing I heard this week. And it's a sad state of where we are as a country. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing fake liberal agenda stories. This is America in 2019. A big story we're following tonight. 92 people dead living on the streets of Multnomah County in 2018. That's the highest number since 2011 when they started counting homeless deaths. K2's Kelly Azair live in southeast Portland with the story. And Kelly, families of those who died want everybody to know that they are people too. That's exactly right. And I realize that that may sound extremely strange, but these families tell me that when you hear those numbers or even just simply see people living on the street, the thing you may not realize or think about is that each one of those people, each one of those 92 who died last year is someone's friend, family or loved one. What we were fearful of was he would end up dead. Just a few years ago, after being in and out of adult foster care, Tyler Chisholm told his parents he was going to live on the streets of Portland. It was frightening. According to Mark and Heather Chisholm, their son struggled. He had developmental disabilities growing up and had trouble finding where he fit in. And one year ago, they got the life-altering news. When he said something had happened to Tyler, 
it wasn't surprising, but the next sentence was, Tyler was dead. It's shocking. Tyler was murdered, according to police. And then we found out that that he was stabbed on the street in the night. 92 people, including Tyler, died while homeless on the streets of Portland last year, the most since Multnomah County started counting. 53% died from a substance like meth or opioids. 11% were murdered, and 10% died by suicide. But Mark Chisholm wants you to know his son is not just a statistic. It's, it's not just some individual on the street. One of them was was a boy we raised and you know so it makes it very personal and as the numbers rise but it's a huge problem he says he's discouraged by the lack of progress although the city of portland seems to be working on the problem uh there isn't a lot of progress that's made Now, as we get into the rainy and even colder seasons, we got to thinking about shelter and how many people may die from the elements. So we looked into that. Multnomah County says last year, two people died from hypothermia. We're live in Southeast Portland. Kelly Ozier, K2 News. Kelly, thank you. Now to Cummings. I hate talking ill of the dead, but this, or yesterday, all day, this is what you heard on your media as well. Mr. Cohen, with this, do you think the president of the United States is making decisions in the best interest of the American people? No, I don't. Especially those you said that he used horrible words about, like African-Americans, Muslim-Americans, and immigrants? Yes. Just to make a note, Mr. Chairman, just because someone has a person of color, a black person working for them, does not mean they aren't racist. And it is insensitive that some would even say it's the fact that someone would actually use a prop, a black woman, in this chamber, in this committee, is alone racist in itself. Donald Trump is setting. Mr. The Chairman, I ask that her words Donald be Trump taken is down. The president, I reclaim my time. Mr. Donald Chairman, Trump is setting a president. Mr. Chairman, that the highest office can be. Mr. Chairman, the rules are clear. Activity cover up and hold on to business assets to break campaign finance laws and constitutional clauses. What we have here, Mr. Chairman, is criminal conduct and the pursuit of the highest public office by Mr. Cohen and Individual One. I hope that the gravity of this situation hits everyone in this body the court and in Congress and across this country. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I yield the rest of my time. Mr. Chairman, I ask that her words, when she's referring to an individual member of this body, be taken down and stricken from the record. I'm sure she didn't intend to do this. But if anyone knows my record as it relates, it should be you, Mr. Chairman. Chairman, I, I, I would like to... Hold on. I want the words read no, no, back. No, 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 no. We want to know exactly no, what she said me. about a colleague. Excuse me. Would you like to rephrase that statement, Ms. Salib? Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I can actually read it from here. Just to make a note, Mr. Chairman, that just because someone has a person of color, a black person working for them, does not mean they are racist. And it is insensitive that someone would even say racist, say 
say it is racist in itself and to use a black woman as a prop to move, to prove it otherwise. And I can submit this for the record. If a colleague is thinking that that's what I'm saying, I'm just saying that's what I believe to have happened. And if as a person of color in this committee, that's how I felt at that moment. And I wanted to express that, but I am not calling the gentleman, um, Mr. Meadows, a racist for doing so. I'm saying that in itself, it is a racist act. Well, I hope not, Mr. Chairman, because I need to be clear on this well, particular. Mr. Chairman. Mr. 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 Meadows, wait a minute. I, I've defended you no, at, no, no, about, Mr. Meadows, with false accusations. Mr. Meadows, I'm the chair. Yes, sir, you are. Thank you. Right. I will clear this up. Now, Ms. Salib, is it, I want to make sure I understand. You did not, you were not intending to call Mr. Meadows a racist, is that right? No, Mr. Chairman, I do not call Mr. Meadows a racist. No, no, I am trying, no, minute, as on. a person of color, Mr. Chairman, just to express myself and how I felt at that moment. Mm -hmm. And so, just for the record, that's what was my intention. All right. Yeah. Mr. Meadows. Mr. Meadows. Mr. Chairman, there's nothing more personal to me than my relationship. My nieces and nephews are people of color. Not many people know that. You know that, Mr. Mr. Chairman. And to indicate that I asked someone who is a personal friend of the, the Trump family, who has worked for him, who knows this particular individual, that she's coming in to be a prop, it's racist to suggest that I ask her to come in here for that reason. Mr. Uh, Mr. President, the president's own person, She's a family member. She, she loves the, this family. She came in because she felt like the President of the United States was getting falsely accused. And, and Mr. Chairman, you, are, you and I have a personal relationship that's not based on color. And, and to even go down this direction is, is wrong, Mr. Chairman. First of all, I want to thank the gentleman for what you have stated. Um, if there's anyone who is sensitive with regard to race, it's me. Son of former sharecroppers that were basically slaves. So I, I get it. Um, I listened very carefully to Ms. Salid, and I think, and I, I don't want to, I'm not going to put words in her mouth, but I think she said that she was not calling you a racist. And I thought that we could clarify that. Because, you, Mr. Meadows, you know, uh, and of all the people on this committee, uh, I've said it and got in trouble for it, that you're one of my best friends. I know that shocks a lot of people. And, and likewise, Mr. Yeah, Chairman. but you are. And I would do, and I could see and feel your pain. I feel it. And so, and I don't think Ms. Salib intended to cause you that, that, that kind of pain and that kind of frustration. Did you have a statement, Ms. Salib? I'm going to yield to you. We no, can just straighten you, this Mr. up. Chairman, and, and to my colleague, Mr. Meadows, that was not my intention, and I do apologize if that's what it sounded like, but I said someone in general. Uh, and as everybody knows in this chamber, I'm pretty direct, so I, if I wanted to say that, I would have, but that's not what I said. And uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman, for allowing me to clarify. But again, I said someone. And again, I, those not referring to you at all as a racist. Well, I, I thank the gentlewoman for her comments. I thank the chairman for uh, working to clarify this. And, uh, 
And I, I appreciate the, the, the chairman's uh, intervening. Now, now to, to the gentleman, um, first of all, thank you uh, for allowing us to resolve that. Um, the gentleman had asked a little bit earlier. I will withdraw my request. Oh, you don't want to do the uh, unanimous consent? I, I need the unanimous consent. But the, my, I, need, I think I need. He's a statesman. And though I send my condolences to his family, his followers, I mean, he was part of the civil rights movement. There are ten times he attacked Trump. And Bush could be another hundred times. One, January 17th, from inauguration to fighting back. Did not take long confrontational Cummings Trump dynamic to develop. Cummings was one of the few prominent Democrats who attended Trump's inauguration, and many spurred their invites. But not long after the inauguration, Cummings said he would use whatever time I have on earth to fight back. February to March 2017, a meeting planned or canceled. He blew off Trump numerous times. The third incident, March 2017, come. Cummings presses POTUS on hurtful comments, saying that he was hurting African Americans. April 2017, a great president or not, a few weeks after meeting in the White House, Trump claimed that Cummings said he would go down as a great president. He said that never happened. There wasn't even a meeting. May 2018, Cummings runs out of pace with Trump officials. During a hearing, he goes the fuck off on him like he did numerous times. 6, October 2018, Trump pushes back against conflict of interest claim. Uh, 7, April 2019, Trump sues Cummings because of what he said. 19, or 8, 20, July 2019, no doubt about it, Trump's a fucking racist. 9, July 2019, Trump says Cummings district is rat and rodent infested. He played it up about, oh, he's, it's all racial, it's racial. I'm a black man, you can't say that about me. There's black people living there. Yeah, we showed videos on the show that it is rat infested. A reporter filmed rat infestation. 10, burglary attempt was too bad. He didn't say enough nice things. They all had to make it out of Trump. Here's the New York Times. Elijah Cumming, powerful Democrat, who investigated Trump, dies at 68. Journalist Yamamachi Alcindor. On 727, Cummings District is disgusting, rat-infested. 728, if racist Elijah Cummings would focus more on energy and helping people, perhaps progress could be made. Today, my warmest condolences. His work will be very hard to replace. Somebody said, you're everything that's wrong with journalism. They had to make it about Trump. His very death. So that's what he's known for, attacking conservatives. You don't believe me? Here's just a simple montage. Going all the way back to Bush. The man was no statesman. George, no matter where I go, what I'm hearing over and over again is from my constituents is please save our democracy. Please save our country. And you know something else they say, uh, George? They say I'm scared. And I have not, I've never uh, in my total of 37 years in public service ever heard a constituent say that they were scared of their leader. Scared of their leader? Scared of the President of the United States? Of the United, President of the United States. That's exactly right. Do you believe President Trump is and a racist? And I've been in politics 37 years. Go ahead. What did you say? Do you believe President Trump is a racist? I believe he is. He, yes, no doubt about it. And, and I, I tried to give him the benefit of the doubt. But i got to tell you, George, let me tell you, I get even, I, when I think about what he said to these young ladies uh, who are merely trying to 
uh, bring excellence to government and trying to make sure uh, that generations yet unborn have an opportunity to experience a true democracy. When I hear those things, it takes me back, like I said, and... The Benghazi dozen, five Democrats now agreeing to join seven Republican inquisitors after failing to block the new Benghazi probe. Is it a witch hunt or a truth squad? We'll ask Congressman Elijah Cummings, the Democrats' point man on the committee. We, of course, want to ask you about Benghazi. Why the decision by your caucus, and a divided caucus it was, uh, you had your microphone cut off by Daryl Issa, your, your chairman of the committee uh, on which you serve the oversight committee, yeah. and Adam Schiff and you and others, I think, were against uh, playing a role in what could be you know, a real witch hunt, according to you. Uh, it's a seven... It's dominated by seven Republicans. Why even play the game? What we ought to be concerned about is all the people who are being denied the right to vote. I mean, those are the, that's where the investigation should go. When I, when I meet with uh, the president, I'm going to urge him, if he's going to do an investigation, he needs to do an investigation as to why it is that African Americans, uh, elderly, uh, Hispanics, and others are being denied the right to vote, as in states like uh, North Carolina. And, and, and I'm going to urge him to talk to Speaker Ryan to, to get him to put on the floor of the House something, uh, the legislation uh, sponsored by uh, Jim Clyburn, that will uh, restore the Voting Rights Act. As you know, it was gutted. And, and so this, this whole talk about, I refuse to talk about voter fraud because it does not exist. And we are spending all this time when we've got people who cannot vote. You've, you've heard, Congressman, the criticism, the charges being leveled at, uh, at the president and his aides that they're, by going forward with these claims, which are false, but by going forward with the claims and now making a, a request for a major investigation, they're actually looking for ways to enhance voter suppression by calling for greater ID, uh, ID laws, if you will, in order to vote, and, and issues like that, which would make it more difficult for people to vote. Uh, you've heard that suggestion. Do you believe that? Yes, of course I believe that. Um, because basically what is happening, uh, there's been a tremendous effort, Wolf, to deny people the right to vote. And, and i got to tell you, Wolf, it pains me. Uh, I see people who, I look at people like my mother who is 90 years old, but she remembers the day in South Carolina when uh, you, you could be hurt very seriously or harmed when you tried to register to vote. And, and, and now we've got elderly people having to go through 50 million changes to be able to vote when many of them have voted all along for years. Let me ask you as, as a final question. You have mentioned a couple of times uh, that, that folks in your district ask you with regularity about the safety of this president. Do you have more concerns with the safety of this president because he's African-American than you would have had for, say, uh, George Bush or, you know, those that... You know, First of all, let me say I have concern about all presidents and everybody well, receiving right. secret, secret service guards. Uh, but yes, but the fact is, is that um, African American people are, have always expressed concern to me about this president. They would see uh, candy uh, folk around this president with guns strapped uh, uh, on their legs, and they say, "You know, how can that be?" Um, and they just they worry and they're concerned.
I mean, we talk about training. We talk about having officers. I was talking to a city councilman here last week who was saying, Brooke, these people have to live in the communities. There's no invo- emotional or there's a lack of emotional investment. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these young people, I mean, I've been talking about this so much. A lot of these young people, and I love our nation's veterans, but some of them are coming back from war. Mm-hmm. They don't know the communities, and they're ready to do battle. Yeah, they need. They, they definitely need training, um, better training. They need better recruitment. And good afternoon. I'm Brooke Baldwin here live in Baltimore in front of Camden Yards where we're five minutes away here from the first pitch. And we're going to talk about everything happening here in Baltimore in just a moment. But for the second time today, I just wanted to take a moment and discuss something that I said on my show just yesterday. And I just want to apologize. Um, During my show, I gave credence to the idea that veterans returning from war who were police officers were furthering the problems in communities like these here in Baltimore and nationwide. And I just have to take a moment again today to say I was wrong. I was so wrong uh, to speak the way I did involving our men and women in uniform to perpetuate this false narrative. Um, It's on me. I own it. And I apologize. You heard it in there. During the Obama era, it was everything was racist. It's all about color. His whole career was based on that. So I don't want to hear statesmen. And I hate bashing the dead. It's horrible. This was beneath me. I shouldn't do it. But I watched that fucking thing about him protecting a white Republican who got attacked by one of the squad during a hearing. And everybody talking about what a statesman he is. And I just couldn't do it. Couldn't do it anymore. It's bullshit. He was a race hustler. That's what he was known for. Saying America's all racist, we're all a bunch of fucking racist. My sheer bringing up that he calls people racist, he would call me a racist. Because that's what he was. In my opinion, he was a racist. He hated white people. He pretended to like Democrats white people. So that wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this with your family and friends. Send comments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. FOP Podcast gmail.com. Get the show on SoundCloud, Podcast Static, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Remember to check out the Facebook page at FOP Podcast, the Twitter page at FOP Tony Reed. Our next show, we're going to shoot for Tuesday, 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 and that would be the 22nd of October, year of our Lord, 2019. Until then, stay warm if you're in the cold zones. Down south, we're actually going to have some pleasant temperatures. Make sure you disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah, yes. And please tune back in next Tuesday for another show. Thank you to Sean in Oregon for his contribution for our This is America Today. It is a terrible thing, and we don't even know about it. And um, it fit perfectly in that category. As always, thank you for listening, and take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count.